What's happening, you fat bastards? This is Mike. And this is Adrian. And you're listening to Podcast Croissant. And we're at episode three, and we have listeners, and it's turning into a real thing now. It, it definitely feels real. It feels real. And thank you very much for all the correspondence and messages and just listening to us, even if you don't send us anything. It's been great. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's also fair to mention that the first two episodes we recorded, we recorded before uploading or releasing or announcing the show. So it was just a, it was just an idea in our heads that we were talking to people. But now that we've received a response and feedback and we actually, I guess it feels like we're talking to people now. Yeah, we know there are people listening. We know that people have downloaded. We can, we can actually tell exactly how many people have downloaded. But I can't think of the number off the top of my head, but it's been quite a few. Yeah, a few, quite a few hundred. The program that uh, we're using to upload the podcast to, they give us stats with all the countries that are listening and how many downloads and even down to devices and things too. So it'll be fun to uh, start looking at that yeah. soon once, you know, once things pick up because we can actually see where our listeners are and all that. I haven't gone right into it, but that's something we'll be able to do. And Yeah, but we have received responses from people all over. It's been awesome. That's been great. Hmm. Well, uh... How have you been, man? Anyway. Yeah, it's been good. Um, maybe the listeners won't know, but their first two episodes were recorded long before Christmas, so definitely before Christmas. And the second uh, was posted, uh, I think, early January. Um, so we've had Christmas and New Year out of the way since we've last spoken. And uh, yeah, and now we're ready to get stuck in again uh, to some more episodes. So yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, I've been good. And you? I've I've been well. I've 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 been better. It was nice to have a bit of time off over Christmas, but I saw um I saw the Black Queen. I remember talking about the Black Queen on one of the two yes. episodes. Yeah. Uh, singer of Dillinger Escape Plan. They were here in ah, Sydney yes, and yes, yes. they played the Lansdowne Hotel on Friday night, so I went right. to that and that was um it was an enjoyable show. It, Dillinger as a band are hugely dynamic they put on one of the most intense shows i've ever seen in my life whereas black queen was a little more subdued a bit more tame yeah they were good you know they got they got a guy on the guitar and a guy on all the programming synth stuff and then you've got greg out front and um he sounded great like his voice was great everything was really good but very um much more tame much you know much simpler show where they came out performed the songs really well and they did an authentic non-encore. They actually walked off stage, kept the lights down, and the audience, I think, we're so used to bands just automatically walking out and doing an encore yeah. that, you know, the, the yelling's pretty tame, but there wasn't a huge demand coming from the audience, so they kept the lights down and there wasn't much of a shout. And, right. You know, we're all yelling here and there, but it wasn't intense enough to bring them back, so they uh. just suddenly just... Turn the lights up, and that was yeah. it. So I, I, I respect that. I respect a sincere, proper encore. And even though it didn't happen, that to me felt more authentic. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I saw Jack White at the Montreal Jazz Festival uh, here in Switzerland mm-hmm. in the summer, and he, he, he did the same because he didn't come back, and everyone yep. expected him to come back because he didn't play Seven Nation Army. He's like, well, he always plays Seven Nation Army, so he's going to come back. And I was like. Ah, no one's yep. going. No one's going crazy because they're kind of all expected them to come back, and then he, he didn't. So good. Uh, I, I I hope this is a new movement in musicians where they're they're looking for the authentic 
Yeah, or some, or some, encore. or some are, are, are not having it at all. Um, I, when I saw Edels, they they said, okay, well, you know, we don't do on, encore, so this is definitely going to be our last song. So they, you know, they let you know. I think I've seen a few acts like that as well. I said, well, you know, we don't we don't do encore, so this is going to be it. So yeah, I, I think I like it. I don't, I don't think. I don't know. In, in in this day and age, when you know you can find out the set list, you know, if you, uh, on Setlist FM or anywhere else, you kind of know what's mm. going to happen. So any of the kind of you know intrigue or excitement or suspense is completely gone. So you know, you know, just get get on with it and get over it. I know. Maybe it's. I don't know. I I, I like what the, your your guy from Black Queen did. I like what Jack White did, even though we were maybe a little, felt a little bit shortchanged. But as you say, it was authentic and yeah, honest. Yeah, and it depends on the band that I'm seeing because unless I'm a diehard hardcore fan that really wants to see a set be as long as the band are willing to play, yeah, I I often find when I'm seeing a band because I I like the Black Queen, but I I couldn't tell you I think they played 45 minutes to yeah. an hour and that was enough I I actually didn't need I didn't I personally didn't need more and maybe they felt yeah. that from the whole audience. Yeah, you know, but I've seen. I know every time I've seen Faith No More, they have always done two at least ones. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I can't remember. Alternative Nation in 1995 was the first time I saw them. Uh, but the yeah, I, I I think they still did two encores even at that one, and that's just always been their thing. I think it's special now if they do a third. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well. So we, we talked about how we would do the show, and it's been really nice. Again, thank you to the people who have written into us. Uh, may as well mention again, our email is podcastcroissant at gmail.com. Our Facebook is listed as Podcast Croissant. Our Twitter handle is actually podcroissant, P-O-D, croissant. Uh, and then uh, what's the Instagram? Instagram is also Podcast Croissant. So you can find us across all of them, but uh, I must admit and apologize to those who have emailed i must have mucked up with my notifications and i didn't realize i actually received uh, more emails in there than i had re- realized so i've only replied to a couple and i apologize i will make a point after we read your emails today to come back and let you know that we received it and say hi and so yeah thanks to everyone who's reached out and we'll um we'll certainly make the best effort to be responding to people cuz uh yeah, that was just uh, me uh, failing a little bit. Uh, it's fine. We're getting plenty, and we'll we'll shout out the the listeners throughout the show when your points come up. So you know, you haven't been forgotten yeah. about. Should we start with a few emails? Yeah. Yeah. So the first email here is it's Sabbath Bloody Podcast. So they wrote to us almost the moment the show went live. I think within the first couple of days they wrote to us and um. Yeah, they actually said, said some really nice Great. things. It's, uh, yeah, Sabbath Bloody Podcast, and the subject is Introduce Myself. Hey, Adrian <laughs> and Mike, you are very welcome to the fold here in the deep dive band-specific podcast community. You are already legends in my feed for choosing one of my dearest bands to cover. My own entry point to FNM is very much the standard for most 90s kids. Growing up in Canada, they were in heavy rotation on much music and the video for Epic was just straight up eye candy for any youngster, right? Who doesn't like lightning and neon slime? And the goldfish dying on the table haunts me to this day. After seeing the video a couple of times, I picked the cassette of The Real Thing. 
picked up the cassette of The Real Thing. This was back when my dad and I would do record store runs and I could pick any two albums from the rack as an allowance of sorts. <laughs> Incredible Great. parenting skills there, by the way. That, that's awesome. That's brilliant. Wish I could continue the tradition, but record stores are few and far between these days. That particular run, I hit the rock section and got The Real Thing and Aerosmith's Pump. So I was obviously very swayed by the MTV rotation at the time. In turn, they became two of my favourite rock acts outside of my dad's classic rock gems of Sabbath and Deep Purple. Uh-huh. Of course, but at least they were still very, uh, they were still active at the time. See, it sounds similar. I, I was lucky enough to, my, my dad was into really similar stuff, so it sounds like we had a similar experience. Yeah, uh, that's great. And, and I've, you know, Sabbath uh, podcast, uh, they're very active on Twitter as well. We have a few interactions, we've had a few interactions over, you know, the past few months. So really, really good to hear from you guys. Yeah, I I need to make a point of uh, having a listen to that. Are you a, are you a Sabbath fan? We've uh, we talked about this, didn't we? You weren't familiar with the original. No, I wouldn't say I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a Sabbath fan. I know I don't. Uh, I like what I've heard of Sabbath, but I've never gone out of my way to you know listen to a lot of their uh, back catalog. So maybe I should, but I haven't. Maybe I should be guided by the Sabbath podcast um, as to what to, what to listen to. But I think going back to a going back to a back catalogue of that depth and uh, you know importance it's, it's quite daunting if, you know if you only know you know iron man and paranoid and war pigs it's you know where do you where do you dip your toe in first um mm. but. certainly the earlier albums i mean my favorite story about aside from things like eating the heads off bats and ripping chickens heads off or whatever or, you know all of those tales uh the bat one is apparently true though it really did happen in the the sony me well, he didn't realise he thought it was fake, so he just grabbed it and tore its head off and they were, yeah, they were like, oh, shit. Uh, but it's the way um, Tony Iommi wrote the first the first Sabbath, like the song that's called Black Sabbath, isn't it? The, yeah. The down, down, down. He said he was on his way to band practice and they were, he walked past a cinema and people were lined up outside and there was a scary movie. So they were all lined up to go and see this scary movie and he thought it was strange that people would willingly pay money to go and scare themselves and then he said, came inspired to band practice saying, let's make scary music. Yeah. And that was the, uh, yeah. Uh, that's good. That's interesting. Because I think... I think even when you know Sabbath one, it's hard for people of our age and even definitely for younger people to appreciate you know the horror or the you know the fear that people had of of Black Sabbath, you know the the you know the Satan associations. I was watching the new series of True Detective there during the week, and uh, one of the plots of it has, is is in, in 1980, and there's a kid with a, a Sabbath T-shirt as one of the suspects, and he's uh. the police are kind of picking on him because of this Sabbath t-shirt, you know. That, uh, so, yeah, yeah right. it was not that long ago that, you know, you know, there was a certain fear that metal mu- music and Sabbath in particular uh, instilled, which is uh, another good reason probably to go back and listen to them, which I should do and will. Well, there's... The, what's edgy now is, I mean, exactly what you're saying, is that, you know, that, that, was, that was scary for its time. People weren't seeing this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and they were they were amongst the first to be doing it, and certainly the the 
the most mainstream or the uh, coming into the mainstream that people were witnessing. So, hmm. Okay, so uh, Rai continues. I was also lucky enough on the particular sh- on that particular shopping spree to grab a video too. I nabbed you, fat bastards, live at Brixton Academy <laughs> on VHS to complete the experience. So my first real exposure to F and M was predominantly visual. Now that I think about it. Anyway, they are still one of my top listens to this day. As I got older, King for a Day has become my main jam. I love that record. Me too. A great listen that holds up. So diverse yet focused. Real Thing is a little dated now when I throw it on. It is cool, however, that they are one of those bands that I legit grew up on. Your show should provide a great deal of comfortable nostalgia for this rapidly aging dude. I thank you in advance for the warm feelings. I'll try and write in or tweet at you when I can and hope you guys settle in here with the amazing community of band podcasts and find that interactivity you seek. Let me know if you need anything, and I'll promote you on socials and such where I can. Keep on, croissant, Rye. That's very cool. Thank you, Rye. That's great. That's a really cool email. Thanks a lot for that. It means a lot. Yeah. Uh, we heard from Ashley Stewart early on, and she was chasing us on when the next podcast would be available because we sort of took our time. With... That was actually really nice after the first episode, and we decided, oh, let's hold it off until yeah. after the new year because, you know, people will be away and whatever. But we there were a few people writing in eager for more yeah, looking so. for it that's good to know yeah 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 thanks ashley uh marty burn music he wrote some fanboy waffling and some questions <laughs> we love fanboy waffling yeah we're familiar with that hey there guys i'm enjoying the podcast i really enjoyed the small victories book i got to relive all my fnm fanboy childhood memories but now with much more detail and specifics it was a real joy to read and actually a pretty emotional ride so thanks for that below is about who I am and how I got into F&M, just in case you guys want to keep statistics on this stuff. But please feel free to scroll right on past that down to my questions for your podcast below. Uh, I'm from Belfast, North Ireland, and got into F&M via the seemingly quite popular path of Epic, via MTV, and The Real Thing, uh, bought on cassette with my confirmation money as a 10-year-old. Then Angel Dust, my sister bought this on cassette and eventually let me listen to it. I was about 12. I put on headphones and absorbed every second of it. It, was, it really was a life-changing experience. How could that band now sound like this? The intensity, darkness, moodiness, heaviness, etc. It seemed everything a pubescent 12-year-old boy wanted. F&M were the first band I saw live at the Point Theatre Dublin in I November was there. 1992. Yeah? I was there, yeah. yeah. I like cool. to say that was the first, one of the first concerts. Actually, I like to say F&M was my first concert, but I was in, I saw another band who were uh, called Funk Metal uh, at the same venue, The Point, um, a few months before that. So um, it wasn't Fate No More. Right. It was extreme. But, uh, extreme. Would you... Are they funk? Move on. Are they move, fun- move on. <laughs> move on quickly. Are they funk? Are they more glam? Mm, they were definitely, because they even got the funk out. So they were definitely funk. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so... I was 12 and was nearly crushed to death. Exciting. So I was 18 and I was probably one of the ones crushing you to death. Yeah, yeah right. No, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the same age. So I'm the same age as Marty. Uh, then for Christmas, 92, I got introduced, Introduce Yourself on CD. Much later, I was able to track down We Care A Lot, probably around 94 on vinyl. So similar as well in terms yep. of the order of the order of how I discovered it all, yeah. I saw F&M live again at Sunstroke 93 in Dublin when they cancelled their Belfast date to cover for the Red Hot Chili Peppers who couldn't make it for whatever reason. I would guess that could be due to Kiedis's 
Uh, yeah, I don't know three. what reason. I, I, I missed that one because I was in the states for the summer, but I was back the following year for Sunstroke, and I saw the Chilis who came back the following year. Right. Yeah. I think uh, if you read Scar Tissue, that was definitely around the time that Ketis was just in and out of heroin addiction. So cancelling a date like that, very likely. I don't know for sure, but very yeah. likely around '93. That was the going into the one hot minute era and it was after um unless it was anything yeah. to do with around the time Frishani had quit the band i don't know i don't know but it was a very good lineup that was belly and sugar and sonic youth i think all played alongside fighting more wow ah those were the days uh, those were the days yes those <laughs> were the days uh, King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime came at a time where I was playing guitar and beginning to learn to write and record my own music, so I had become a little more wary and sceptical by that point at 15. I loved King for a Day, but it was a different kind of love. King for a Day had a maturer sound that I could relate to, but still I missed the heaviness and thickness of Angel Dust. Those were strange days of discovery, learning to embrace new things and let go of older things, etc. By the time Album of the Year came out, I was still checking the music mags and keeping up with their radio and TV appearances, as I had done since I was 10 years old, but my expectations were pretty low. I wasn't fussed on Ashes to Ashes or Last Cup of Sorrow when I first heard them. The album grew on me and has some great stuff, but certainly it was and probably still is my least favourite. I saw FNM again in 2009 when FNM 2.0 played at the Olympia in Dublin. I just about got a ticket. Uh, I just about got a ticket? Yeah, sounds okay. Okay, meaning I, I just barely got a ticket, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's, probably, it's probably Irish English, Mike. Maybe. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, Soul Invictus. Well, it was very exciting to read that FNM were recording new material. But again, based on how King for Day and Album of the Year played out, I wasn't particularly optimistic that they were going to blow our minds with their new material. Soul Invictus is a little disappointing in that it's sort of exactly what I expect, uh, suspected they would sound like 16 years on. On the other hand, it's quite heartening that they're still able to make decent music after all this time. Out of all those bands who have reformed in recent years, I reckon F&M did it right. And there are some great moments. Sunny Side Up and Se- Separation Anxiety are both pretty decent. See, it, it's funny that's being said. I, I do feel similarly about Soul Invictus. I, there are, for me, Separation Anxiety, Cone of Shame and uh, Matador are gems and just as good as anything yeah. else in their catalogue. Um, but Sunny Side Up, I've never connected to it. Oh, I love it. Yeah? Pop. Oh. Yeah, if you get past the kind of the, the weird lyric start, no, I really like it. Ah, no, I will get into this in Soul and Victor's later, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. The standard tracks are the ones you mentioned, but it's it's a, such, such a cohesive record. It really works, and uh, mm. there's some, just something that runs through it mm. that elevates it. A lot of it's probably the the keyboards, but the, and the the atmosphere of it is mm. it's, it's, it's way better than it at any rate to be still. But you know, yeah. I actually I think really a lot of, love. Sorry. No, I think a lot of people like Marty and 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 yourself and myself who kind of, you know, who, who got into Fate No More at the time of Epic and then kind of their love peaked almost at Angel Dust. Kind of feel the same, but maybe you know, how their how their music musical appreciation changed as they got older and or mm. how Fate No More's music changed as well. That obviously. The view the later records slightly differently, so it's always interesting to hear. But really, it'd be really interesting to hear someone again if these people exist that got into the got into Fate No More, you know, around the time of Introduce Yourself and uh, or around the time of King for Day, if their feelings are are completely different. But um, mm. 
Mm. Yeah, I think mm. I think we can both chime in a lot of Mar- what Marty was saying there. Yeah, absolutely. I I would love to hear from anyone who was a fan before, like when Chuck was still the singer. That would be that would be awesome. Whether it's We Care a Lot or Introduce Yourself, anyone who may have even if anyone saw Faith No More with Chuck Mosley originally in the band, that would be sick to hear from someone like that yeah and i'd also love to hear from some people who didn't care for faith no more until the reunion and went ventured back and actually got to discover them as we've talked about before they do exist but you're you're searching for unicorns there i think uh, (laughs) on that second one i want a unicorn uh all right we're almost we're almost um done here and there are some questions as well uh so yeah that's about the height of it my life story via fnm uh, it's a great between story. 2005, yeah, it is. Uh, between 2005 and 2008, I played in a band who were all big FNM fans, so we aped a bit of their sound. Although we were always very weary of the new metal scene, and it is. It, hang on, I love fumbling on words. If the if the word is W E A R Y, is that weary or wary? That, 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 that's weary, yeah. yeah. So wary, wary W A R Y is when you're you know aware, cautious, yeah. well, but weary. I- Maybe wary could be better there, but, you know, I'm not going to... Well, I, I, I wonder if we've got some you know, fuck you Siri stuff going on and there's some auto-tech, auto-correction. Anyway, uh, always very... I think it is always very wary of the new metal scene. That was, that was yeah. some fun little dialogue. <laughs> always very wary <laughs> of the new metal scene and stayed as far away from that as possible. We were more like Deftones meets FNM via quotes. So that sounds cool. Can you send us that a link to your very music? Good, yeah. 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 Yeah, let us know. We want to hear that. Yep, please... Uh, yep, we had a pretty decent follow. And if anyone else wants to hear it, tell us and we'll actually share it if, uh, if that's the okay. case. Uh, we had a pretty decent following for a couple of years and gigged a lot around Ireland. But alas, the musical landscape at the time was very much about twee indie bollocks and or proper metal raw. That was in capitals and that's the best job I can do at just hitting 10 o'clock on a Sunday yeah, morning. that's right. All right. So. That's uh, a great, that's a great thanks, message. Thanks, Marty. Yeah. Um, there's, some, there's some questions here. Uh, what do you think FNM's fifth album would have sounded like if Jim Martin had still been on board? Uh, what would it have sounded like? I don't know. It's so just hypothetical because mm. I think there wouldn't have been a fifth album if Jim Martin was still on board. But yeah, I don't know. I don't you know, know. maybe it's... someone else in the band would have been playing music. That's what it would have, playing guitar. That's what it would have sounded. Like. Yeah, see, we're 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 talking about uh, you fat bastards today, and it was awesome to watch and appreciate Jim because it's been so long since I've watched that show and actually anything Jim related. Yeah. And one, he's such a good guitarist. He's a phen- yeah. he's an awesome guitarist, and without going too deeply into perhaps Trey Spruance because he only had that one, you know, the one album recording, never toured with him. He was such a competent he stands alone as actually being a guitarist who has inspired people so something that i knew i was going to talk about today anyway and talking about jim martin is that i i like john hudson and i in reading your book i really appreciate now the role that he played in essentially keeping faith no more alive for at least one more album to do album of the year and making the reunion even possible because you really get a sense of, you know, one, you've got big personalities in that band with um, Patton. Bill Gould's very clear about what he's trying to achieve with the band. Yeah. Puffy, Puffy seems like the kind of guy 
who is pretty, and, and you'd be able to tell me, but he seems like someone who is like Bill Gould, pretty clear about what he wants, but also a pretty easygoing guy, but doesn't want to put up with any shit. Doesn't want to tolerate yeah. any bullshit. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. But he definitely knows what he wants as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I th- I, I think Roddy sort of falls within that. So if Jim Martin was still around, there just would have been too much. I, I think Patton would have been antagonized because he was still Patton was still younger back then. You know, he was still yeah. only twenty twenty seven to to thirty when they were breaking up. So I think they probably would have just been aggravating each other and. You're right. I mean, that's the the longer version of what you just said, which is there couldn't have likely been a fifth album. Yeah, if, uh, if it, it's, it, it's interesting. Who knows where they would have went or what it would have been like? But I don't oh, yes. know that it would have been too different in terms of because John Hudson does a wonderful job at filling the guitar space and doing something good, but also allowing all the other instruments to shine. I mean, that the guitar's role is to complement everything else that's already happening within the music. Would you agree with, with that? Well, definitely, in fact, the more it is, yeah. 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 It's a, it's, and that's, that was always going to happen. I don't know, there's, a, there's still, a, you know, there's a lot of unresolved issues about Jim and uh, among the Fate More fan base that, you know, it's, it's one you could do a whole episode on Jim, but it's a bit difficult to do without Jim's input as well. But, mm. um, yeah, you know, I... I, I it, it it just wouldn't happen. It's it's a it's a total experiment. But for me, one of the issues was Jim wasn't really producing the, the uh, in the, in a songwriting uh, capacity as much as he mm-hmm. had been at the start. And you know mm-hmm. that was running uh, that was running out. So who knows where he would have came in? Then he would have been writing parts that you know the problem. One of the problems with Angelus, he was right. He, he was he was playing parts that he he admitted himself that he didn't really understand. And you know, the band weren't going to stand still and they weren't going to go back to, to the real thing anyway, so it would have got even more complex and more difficult for them, and even if personal issues had been uh, circumvented, uh, 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 circumnavigated or whatever, they would, the, 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 the issues of the music would still have remained, so yeah, interesting one though, you know, if if it could be, take that experiment, you know, the, if the music for um, King for Day was already written, and then you had to add the Jim Martin guitar parts. How they would have sounded—that's probably the more interesting way of looking at it. But mm. well, I mean, we should still try and answer. The, but you were talking about Angel just as then. Uh, yeah. Bill Gould did write a lot of the guitar parts, or some of the guitar parts to that album. Jim's only contribution to Angel Dust was Jizz Lobber. In from yeah. a, presenting Pull a song, song, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, did Bill actually play? guitar on the album at any point or was it still all Jim just partly written you know good parts written by Bill no it, it was it was still it was still all Jim yeah right Jim was writing the part no it was mm. it, it's a tough one the, the Jim's it's, it's always tough because I think there's no doubting what a great guitarist and what a, a great guitarist he was and what a significant contribution he made to the Fitmore sound and a, you know every time Jim comes up either in a about the book or um, about on my on the website or on Facebook, there are there's a surprising number of you know Jim fans who still exist who kind of dismiss everything after that as well. So it's a, it's, an, it's always an interesting one. Well, uh, we've we've discussed the fact that the first three albums had a very specific sound because they're all prior to Patton and Angel Dust 
with Jim still on board sounds very different to the first three albums. And if we try and answer Marty's question in terms of how would the fifth album, so in, if King for a Day still had Jim on it, would it have been? Yeah. It would have been a very different album. But in trying to answer the question, even though it is a thought experiment, and Jim that the band wouldn't have likely survived with him still there. But if you try and answer the question, I would say that noticeably the first three albums had a very, very Jim sound to them. The guitar work on Angel Dust, you can still hear that it's Jim, but even his playing has evolved and changed a little bit, probably partly due to the fact he didn't understand what they were trying to do, partly due to Bill writing some of the parts. And maybe Jim pushing himself to actually move away from what he always did. And I think it actually would have been, if they were able to get through it, it would have been a great album in terms of one Angel Dust guitar tone. I actually think the guitar tone's disappointing in comparison to the real thing. So I would like to imagine that Jim Martin would have said, hey, I want to work on my guitar tone again because I was disappointed with Angel Dust. And yeah. I think he would have gotten more experimental, partly out of frustration, but also because he needs to keep up with where the band were evolving to. Uh, yeah. I think it would have been... Uh, it would have been another evolution from Angel Dust. I think we would have, I think we would have seen Angel Dust Part 2, is my yeah. trying to answer that question. Actually, well, well, well uh, this thing, reading uh, Marty's question and, and their, their responses... Um, I realised that, that I think it's the same Marty. Uh, I, I doubt it's, uh, Marty also put a comment on the Fate and More 2.0 uh, 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 blog this week as well. Oh, yeah. And he said, you know, can you guys discuss what do you think FNM's fifth album would have sounded like if Jim had been on board? So, you know, it's an interesting one, obviously, for, for Marty. And, and Marty goes on to say in, in that post, I guess I find it sad because Jim's contributions for the first four. FN albums were great. Sure, Bill wrote most of the parts, but that role worked so well. Jim had mm -hmm. a great sound and played wonderfully. And when he was allowed to wake out a bit more, he had serious chops. Uh, I think that's that's a really good point. When he was allowed to wake out more, he had serious chops. I think you see this on the on, on the You Fat Bastards video on that Brixton yeah. performance. Just what a you know accomplished guitar player. I mean, he had a little bit more freedom playing live. You know, st still playing within the songs. You know, really solos, exceptional stuff. You know. Um, yep. And Marty also goes off. Do you wonder if the Angel Dust touring pressure were for the band were essentially bullying Jim, put him off, continue to make music aside from making? But I, you know, I think maybe that's the issue. You know, Jim didn't really make music after after Fate No More. Mm. You know, so I think maybe he was moving towards that anyway. You know, maybe the, the music was less central to him. You know, around that time of Angel Dust when his father died, when he started. Um, have been more involved in the family business, um, so maybe maybe it wasn't just you know it was going in that direction anyway, and uh, you know it, it was just maybe speeded up a little bit when um, there was fallouts during Angel Dust recording and then subsequently on tour. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. You know, I think in an ideal world, I think any Fate No More fan would say, well, it would have been great if you know those problems had never existed and the band had you know lived happily ever after and. See, uh, then we would have maybe got to see how Jim would have could have worked, but it was never to be. We'll never know. No, and again, that's that's why it's a fun thing and something I'm not even going to go into now. But I've had the same thing to say. I love Trace Spruance as a guitarist, yeah. and King for a Day 
the guitar work on that is very different from Jim's, but the guitar work is so phenomenal. And if you've ever seen Mr. Bungle live uh, yeah. or, or Secret Chiefs, but I find that Bungle, Trey seemed to let loose a bit more as a performer and as a competent, extremely competent guitarist. It was such a shame when he didn't stay in the band to tour with them in 95 and that it didn't work because, again, it's something I'm not going to spend any more time talking about. Yeah. But if Jim had to leave the band, it's such a shame that it didn't work out with Trey because it was such an awesome replacement, which you can hear in King for a Day. And that's I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's quite there's quite a bit of discussion on the on the Faith the More blog. If anyone will go over there and read the comments there, you know, something I think it's definitely something we'll come back to again. Mm. I always say it's difficult when discussing Jim, and it was also even difficult in the book that you know you don't no one really has the hundred percent version of uh, Jim's version of events. So what mm. what he was thinking and what kind of don't want to be putting words in his mouth or, to, or you know. So he, he, you know what. He did say he's working on a book himself, so hopefully that will come out at some stage and then we'll know the full story from his perspective. Is that right? Yeah, he did say that when I was when I contacted him about the book, he said he was going to, he was working on something himself. Oh, sick. Story, so that would be really interesting. Big, sick Jim. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I really hope that comes to comes to be. But, yeah, Marty, you've, you've triggered a... You're... you're your message has triggered like a 20, 25 minute discussion there. So thanks. That's exactly what we're looking for. Well, yeah. And then we've still got three more questions to answer. So let's, let's, uh, let's see how we go with these ones. Yeah. Uh, do you think the circumstances that led to Jim getting the boot were reasonable? The book delves into this and has accounts from different members of the band and their take on it. But I was still left a bit unsure as to how reasonable it was. Although I'm willing to accept that maybe he was just a dick and that's all there is to it. So you've kind of, you've kind of, yeah, I think I've gone into this stuff. You know, I don't think it was mm. a question of necessarily that one side was bad or one side was good. It was just one side had, you know, the majority of the band and they wanted to move forward, so that uh, it was something that had to be resolved. You know, mm. um, it wasn't. I don't think it was simply him being a dick. I think it was more complex than that. Yeah. Well, and you've also got Roddy, Bill, and Puffy, who were the key members and very aligned in the music. And Jim was always the metal dude who was all the time was still always yeah. just a little bit on the outside of what those three were up to. And I would imagine that, and because Patton's a very independent guy as well, and I imagine yeah. that when Jim left the band, it would have brought more synergy, at least between the remaining four. Uh, you know, Patton may have aligned a little bit more with them with Jim out of the picture, but Jim always sort of rode alone in that regard as well. So I don't even know if he was necessarily a dick. It was probably... I get the impression that he was a bit stubborn, but I think he was just happy to, yeah, ride alone. Yeah, I'm sure it'd be interesting. As I said, it'd be interesting to get Jim's uh, side of things. Mm. Put the seven F and M studio albums in your order of preference. Uh, no thanks. <laughs> I think we'll <laughs> come to later. that. Later. We'll do that. I think, we'll I think we'll definitely come to that later. I think I think we'll come to that maybe a later episode. I think maybe we could do a. I think we do. A, we could do a whole episode of our opinions mm. on what they are. We can argue with each other and get other people's opinions as well, including Marty. So, um, yeah, it's always an interesting question. What the, the, the single podcast theory guys, the ones who do the Pearl Jam show, they, early on in the piece, I believe they ranked the albums. Each of them ranked their, their favourite albums. And then uh, also 
did a top 10 songs list and right. I know that I would find that really difficult, but it'd be, it'll be a fun thing to do. But I'd, I'd like to just get a little bit into some yep. episodes in the show and, uh, yeah, before going really narrowing it down like that. I don't, I don't know why. I just, I'm, I, I, like, I want to do it. I'm just, I'm just not Mike, ready. I like, but <laughs> by the time you get to it, it'd like to be eight albums. That would be nice. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm. We, but we, Marty, we will, we will just. Well, that's just good. It's, it's a great idea again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last question: Which of the side projects from all the F and M members do you guys like the most? Which would be your most favorite slash least favorite? Uh, I can tell you, my most favorite would be Patton's projects, and my least favorite would also be Patton's projects. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's that's not bad. Uh, I don't know. Well, I think my favorite is Peeping Tom. I don't know. That's, really? Yeah, I really like that album. Um, but I've got to, you know, quite like pop music in general. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that, I don't know. Yeah. P probably. Yeah, probably Peep and Tom. I don't know. My least favorite. I don't really want to go there yet. But I will probably mm. something. I also like I like Patton's very recent uh, movie soundtrack stuff. I think it's really good. Like the 1922 and uh, Place Beyond the Point and Pines. I think they're really good music. They've my favorite as well. Mm, uh, the stuff, any of the really avant-garde stuff that Patton's done, things that he's done with John Zorn, yeah, the really oddball, you know, the the stuff that isn't you wouldn't describe necessarily as uh, still what you define as music, but they're not yeah. songs not as music. much as yeah. soundscapes and yeah. artistic uh, expressions in audio. And I just haven't, ever been able to grasp it the yeah. uh the carter album that he did yeah. a long time ago there was only one song on that whole album that i was able to get i just i just i just don't get it i really want to i want to be cultured and i want to be interesting and or you know interested in really diverse odd stuff but i just i just want to hear songs i want to hear drum yeah. beats and melodies and things like yeah you know, I like them. Yeah, I like them too. But yeah, but I, 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 I think it's great that he that he does it. And there's always there's always one or two gems in each of them, each of the projects for me. But yeah, yeah, Peep and Tom is the one that just comes came into my head first. So, mm. but it's, it's again, it's a it's a future episode. I think Marty to maybe go into that in depth. Yeah, you know what? Let's let's just stick to. We are definitely going to be talking about side projects, so we should yeah. probably just wait for that. But I I will say, Phantomus is possibly the most interesting uh, and exciting to me even though suspended animation didn't really yeah. get into that as much but that first album yeah knowing that that was recorded to tape and i believe every song was played live in the studio yeah uh that that i love the production on that album it's just got such a raw uh raw and uh, i want to say organic it's such a uh, lame term no, but yeah that sounds right raw and organic sound to it. And it sounds like it was after Faith No More and I, I feel like Patton was just excited to be doing something that was his vision. You've got, you know, the members, all the members of the band, uh, you know, it is a super group as such, an alternative super group. Uh, so Phantomus, yeah. I rank, and Bungles, and Mr. Bungles, awesome. Yeah. That's an easy, that's an easy favourite for sure. Yeah, cool. Um, I did send you a couple to read. I'll, I'll read. There's a quick one here. Mark McPherson 
said, hello there. Guys, yes, an F&M podcast, finally. Just wanted to say hello and loving everything so far. Finished Adrian's book over Christmas, so this helps keep things ticking over nicely. I'm sure I'll have something more relevant to say as a week's progress. Ha. Cheers from Aberdeen, Scotland. Great stuff. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Oh, do you want to do you want to read one of them? Yeah. This is from Matt. No second name. Matt. More tangents, please. Having you guys go off on tangents always has some little nugget of info or interesting recommendations. That is why we're listening to hear your thoughts. Thanks for that, you. Matt. Because we have, we've probably been on a tangent <laughs> for the last fifty minutes. Uh, I couldn't believe you guys dog this. The morning after, this was a song that introduced me to Fight No More. I remember where I was the night I heard this. I couldn't sleep at my cousin's house and find out Walkman with the real thing uh, in it. I listened to it, not really paying attention. Then the morning after came on. I listened to it over and over. I looked at the track listing and miscounted. I thought I was actually on the water low for the longest time. I was a stupid child. I told my friend that was also a fan. I heard this amazing song on the water. He said, that song is the worst. When he realized my mistake, I, I agree with him. After almost 30 years, I now have an appreciation for On the Water Love, but the morning after is still my favourite on the album. If the Cowboy song is a B-side to the real thing, I'm surprised you glossed over it. It is absolutely my favourite Fate No More song. I hate it when I tell people it's my favourite Fate No More song and they say, you mean Midnight Cowboy. Sweet Emotion is also fantastic. I may feel that way because it's newer to me since the Deluxe Edition was released. Keep up the great work, Matt. Some great points there again, Matt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think someone else, someone else sent me sent a message maybe through. Let me just try to find it on the morning after. No, we got I got we got a message on. I think it came through on our Facebook page from Jacob Jacob Fraylin. Just wanted to say that on the water love and morning after are my favorite songs on this album. That and the title track, absolutely love those songs. So yeah, I think actually yeah, I saw that. I was yeah, listening, I was listening back this week and I listened to the morning morning after again. Yeah, I can I can see maybe we were a bit harsh on, on the morning after. It's a, it's a very good song with with interest with an interesting story to it. So I think yeah, mm. we were, we probably came down a bit heavy on it. But we have to be a little bit critical now and again, otherwise it'd just be complete fanboyish stuff. So yeah, I, I think that's what we're yeah. trying to do. We were aware we'd been talking for so long and trying to move things along a little bit as well. I think so. Um, you know, there was that as well. Um, oh, dude, I, I didn't tell you we heard from Andy. Andy Couch wrote to us. Oh, right, Andy. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So um, the original, the original Fate No More uh, fan community originator, Kaka Valente. Valente. Yes, and he's cv.org. He's shared the well. I'll get to it, but he's shared the blog post that you referred to. So I'll make sure I put that on the on the at least the Facebook page, just so people can jump to that if they haven't seen it before. So so he wrote episode. Well, subject is episode two. Hey guys, I was a bit late listening to episode two and it took me a few days to get through it. But I just wanted to say that I love what you're doing. I love the tangents and even at close to three hours, it didn't feel too long. I was always looking forward to having the time to resume listening. Oh, and thanks for the shout out. That was a pleasant surprise while I was out walking the dogs. Mike, (laughs) no, I am not directly involved with Bungle Fever. That's my girlfriend, Heather Kennedy. She built it on her own back in 1996 before we'd met and I helped her update it when California came out. But all of the content is hers. As Adrian mentioned, I did a post going into a bit more depth on the fan community in the 90s, and he's given a link for that, and I'll make sure we put that on the page so people can check that out. Also, I have to say that I'm really surprised that both of you guys liked The Real Thing, the song, so much. I don't dislike any song on the album, but that one has never stood out to me. Zombie Eaters Uh is my personal favourite track on The Real Thing, I have always been drawn to their songs that build, like the Crab Song and Cone of Shame. 
But oddly enough, Absolute Zero still holds the title of my all-time favorite FNM song. That's interesting. Okay. That's a, uh, good, a good choice. Yeah. Mm, it has a very short build-up, but I don't know. It's just something about that heavy driving marching rhythm that really pulls me in. See, there's that uh, the, when Faith No More did a show, uh, I think it might have been 2011. Is it Macquinara? Macquinara Festival? Whatever. Macquinara, yeah. Macquinara. Uh, and Trey, yeah, and Trey Spruance did the whole show. They just played King for a Day yeah. back to back, and then they played Absolute Zero as well. Ah, yeah, have to dig that one out. Mm. Well, we're going to be doing a B sides episode down the track, and this one will certainly yeah. come up. Yeah. Uh, finally, just because Adrian mentioned being on a Swedish music kick recently, I have as well. I got into Ghost a couple of years ago, but I think I'm in the minority because I don't really care for prequel at all. Okay. Uh, but there are some really great ghost-related bands that I've been digging over the last couple of years. It's not exactly new music, but new to me, such as Dead Soul and the synth-pop band Priest. The singer wears a spiked gimp mask, but I swear that's just a coincidence. Uh, so he's, he's linked, Yeah, he's linked those two bands, so I'll make sure I forward, forward that over to you. Uh, anyway, you guys are doing great, and I'm looking forward to episode three. Andy, thanks, man. It's thanks a lot, Andy. Hear from you. Yeah. That's great. It's really wonderful to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah, and I only know Andy by association just through the reading his stuff. So, it's yeah, it's really nice to have that contact. Uh, do you, what did you want to read one of the other ones I sent over to you? Aurelian, is that uh, what yeah. you uh, Aurelian from France. Mm-hmm. Hello, Podcast Croissant. I have just discovered your podcast thanks to a tweet sent by Clint of Metal Up Your Podcast. So, thanks, Clint. Mm. I knew that it was coming thanks to Mike's appearance in Alphabet Alica. I love this podcast, but Clint's tweet was the ultimate reminder. I have listened to the first two episodes and I have found these really interesting. I will be a regular listener for sure. It's great. For some reason, I've never really paid much attention to Fate and More Meaning that I'm an FNM casual listener who knows almost nothing about the band. Hmm. We are also looking for casual listeners as well. It's great. Hmm. I was born in 79 and my music tastes have been guided by MTV UK during my teenage years. 120 minutes alternative nation had brought ball, meaning that I have no excuse. Epic was probably too complex for me and easy sounded too mellow. And at the time, I did not know it was a cover. Nevertheless, episode Digging the Grave is my top 10 favourite songs of all time. The bridge and the outro are particularly insane. How can you put so many great parts in a three-minute song? I still remember watching Fate and Will performing this song on a French TV, on a French TV, TV show called Nul Par, uh, Nul Par Alleur, uh, NPA, in Kennel Plus. And being blue, blown away by their energy, they had delivered one of the best live performances that has ever been recorded for the show. Do you remember where you been a lot. Do you remember where you were when you first heard "Digging the Grave"? Uh, no, no, not off the top of my head, no. Because I do. No, you do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, well, that's when I was at peak fanboy. That's when I decided that Faith No More were my favorite band. It was '95. I'm not quite 15 years old. You know, I've 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 gone back and got introduce yourself. I've picked up video. Yeah. I've picked up video croissant. I've done as much diving into faith. I knew the album was coming, and I went to school one day. And it, I, th- I think it, if it came out around February of '95, maybe would have been March when they well, it was March '27. Yeah. It was released in Australia. I, that, that date is right. that's the one date I remember of all of their yep 27th of March. So it was. Uh, about a month before, I came to school one day and one of my good friends at school who was also a huge Faith No More fan, s- s- second he saw me, he said, D- 
did you hear the new Faith No More song last <laughs> night? And I say, get out. No, I didn't. Are you, you, know, you, are you messing with me? And he said, no, for real. They really played it. They played it last night. Uh, it was Michael Tun. If anyone in Australia remembers Triple J in the 90s, Michael Tun uh, announced the song and said, I'm not going to tell you who this is. Doesn't sound anything like them. This is their new song. Check it out. And so he just played it, apparently. And after it was over, he okay. said, if you didn't pick it, that was Faith No More. And you know, Digging the Grave, if, when, when you know Faith No More's catalogue prior, it does sound yeah. very different to anything they've done before. It's, I mean, it's entirely guitar-driven. There's no keyboards on that song. And Patton's yeah. voice matured so much. And so the next night, I'm watching TV, and that friend from school rings our phone and... He said, it's on right now. So I ran to my bedroom and managed to catch the second yeah. half of Digging the Grave. So, yeah, and he recorded it for me that night. So the, next day, I came into, the next day I came into school and gave me, gave me the cassette tape where he actually taped it for me. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was losing my shit when, when I – because I think it got to the second – like I ran in, I hit – I turned the radio on. It was at the second chorus. So it was going into the interlude with the drum break and the screams and it was just – so intense and i loved it that's great yeah. anyway that's great yep as you were uh oh yeah aurelian yeah my interest for fate more has been recently been ignited by another podcast called the album club the, this podcast has has been launched mid 2016 and the hosts are covering significant albums i don't know if you're familiar with it but episode 13 is about angel dust and i think that they've uh, nicely covered it I don't know. Have you, did you hear that one, Mike? I've seen, I've seen it the out there. Club. Yeah, and okay. uh, we've talked about Angel Dust and that for both of us, it's something we want to dive really deeply yeah. into. So it's it, our Angel Dust episode will happen down the road when we get, yeah, I guess, more experienced and more comfortable with. But I'll definitely this listen show. to that one. Yeah, if there's any ideas we can borrow. Yeah, and yeah. I'll, I'll certainly <sighs> be turning to that one for inspiration. So yeah, what was the yeah. name of the uh, what was the name of that podcast that did that? It's called The Album Club. Cool. Okay. The the Album Club. Coming back to your podcast, I love the format. As a listener of Single Podcast Theory and Metal Up Your Podcast, I am definitely comfortable with the structure, and I think that you've already found your own way. As an illustration, speaking of new music is a nice add-on, and I think that it will surely guide listeners like me to find their way through the insane amount of music that one can access with Apple Music, Spotify, Deezer. Well, that's what we, we aim to please, and hopefully we can do that. You said that you did not know each other very well, but that does not translate in the podcast. So this thing was very enjoyable and smooth. Thanks a lot. Mm. I also think that you two are very complimentary with the expert and the musician. Uh, I think uh, you're the expert and, uh, and the musician. Is that it, Mike? <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm a musician? Yeah. You, you're a musician, yeah. <laughs> um, if, you're, if I'm an expert, you can be a musician. Okay. Awesome. The fact that you two are based in separate continents which should provide a different perspective about FNM and about music in general and about climate, Mike, because it's very hot there and it's very cold here. I am sitting um, here uh, on a Sunday morning and it's overcast and for no good, the sun is not out, but it is so warm here in Sydney today. We've had a heat thing or a heat thing all week and I guess the overcast has just kept the heat in overnight. It's stuffy and, and I have to close my windows so that I don't annoy neighbours and things at my house. It's terrible. So I'm it's just terrible. sitting, I am actually sitting here sweating uh, right now as we go. Well, I am yeah. here in Switzerland after midnight and knowing that I'm going to the ski slopes in the morning with my kids. Well, I'm not, I'll not be watching them wow. fall over, but I'll, uh, I'm wow. holding a, 
a phone and videoing them. But yeah, it will be cold. Oh. I'll be wrapped up. Back to Aurelian, who's yep. uh, written to us. Uh, one question for Adrian. Okay, great. I would like to buy your book. But hey, my favorite question. <laughs> shall I shall I order on Amazon or is there another way to order it in order to maximize your return? Um, uh, oh, that's nice. There's, yeah, mm. yeah, so good question. Some, some people have asked me as well. Um, you know, people have various reasons for not using Amazon, but, you know, it is the biggest in the world and it's, an e- it's the efficient delivery. So, yeah, no, there's no problem with, with getting an Amazon. And I think in France it'd be very difficult to get it anywhere else. So if you get it, because um, I don't think it's in a lot of French retailers. So, yeah, I have no problem uh, personally. Um you know, I don't. I don't get any less money from Amazon than I do from anyone else, um, or my publisher get, doesn't get any less than from anywhere else. So yeah, no problem. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, and you, uh, you've got a website. It's faithnomorebook.com, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So and people can find at least all the retails and things. I personally went yeah. to Book Depository because in Australia, Amazon can actually be a bit difficult to order through. Yeah, so. I think there's a lot. There's quite a few in Australia as well. Yeah, there's oh, Mighty Ape and. Mm. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't used yeah. them before, but yeah, Book Depository yeah. is the one I went through here in Australia. Great, yeah. Mm. So there's a list of me. Yeah, France is difficult because you know it's hard. It's not that easy to get English books in French retailers, but mm. yeah, Amazon is as good as anywhere. Um, it's time to conclude to keep on the good work. I'm hoping the next episode. I'm looking forward to the next episode. I'm counting on you to get me across the FNM universe. Best regards, Aurelian. Thank you very much. That's a great, great letter again. It's great to hear from someone who isn't a complete diehard fanboy. Um, so yeah, uh, casual listeners, hopefully you, you can get something out of it and we'll possibly go off on less tangents and maybe talk, try to guide you through it as well. Yeah, I mean, again, I appreciate that people are commenting on the tangents and I just hope that they at least stay interesting because, I mean, it's hard to have these conversations without <laughs> venturing off in mean, one way or another because for me this is, you know, it's one of my favourite things to talk about for sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, okay. One, one more email. Uh, Marty Williams wrote in, The Real Thing episode. I felt compelled to write to write to you because your latest episode was tight and loose at the same time? Question mark. Your tangents were spot on but didn't derail too much. Honestly, you could split this episode into five more episodes, but I was happy to get it all in. Yeah. Your enthusiasm was refreshing. I would prefer a long format that keeps me engaged with each song you go into. So, yeah, I mean, we did discuss splitting it up, but I'd be happier to... You know, if we stagger the episodes every two to three weeks, uh, it you know, finding the time for the two of us to, to record, but also giving people plenty of content that they can, you know, take their time listening through it. The good thing about all the apps is usually that it picks up where you left off so you can you can listen just in, you know, just in stages. So, yeah, cool. Uh, so, with that said, you never mentioned that was Björk's fish from the Epic video. Yeah. Because it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, because it wasn't. <laughs> no. I mean, we could have mentioned that it was in, you know, it was a, a bit of a myth. Uh, I think, did she make did, did she make that up somewhere in an interview and actually told them, actually, that was my fish and I never saw it again uh, or that, something? Yeah, that, maybe. Or, no, I think uh, it's something typically they would have said in an interview mm. that they were at a party at Bjork's house and they I feel, took I, her fish. I remember reading that. And you're right, it could have been someone uh, someone of the band yeah. said it, but then later, 
I, I feel like I read. It. I feel like I read somewhere that she ran with it and actually said yes, yeah. that was my fish. So yeah, that's fun. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, you it wasn't. I spoke, uh, I spoke to the director of the video when I was uh, writing the book, and yeah, it definitely wasn't. He mm. debunked that one for us, and he also yeah, you know, there were there was there, were, there wasn't just one fish. There were several fish. They were treated very well, and no, none of them died. Is that okay? So I knew that they had talked about there were handlers because it was very controversial. There were animal rights activists that were really angry about yeah, the mistreatment was, of this. There fish. were other, there were also other animals that the animal expert had bought as well. I can't remember what they were, but yeah, there were. It was all done above board according to any regulations, um, filming regulations. It was done in London, so I'm sure the regulations were quite strict. So uh, mm. yeah. Well, you can imagine a, a major record label wouldn't want to risk a hefty lawsuit if they killed a fish for the sake of a video. So you'd you'd imagine they would have done it above board. I just always wondered whether, you know, know, if something goes wrong, do you keep it under wraps? But you know what I mean? But I imagine if they used an animal handler, it's in the animal handler's best interest to do their job right, right? Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, that's what they're the professionals. Fate them or Mythbusters. (laughs) I like that. Uh, anyway, so you, you asked for an anecdote for the album, so I'll try my best. I'm 43 and bought the album, but because of the PMRC, now I gather the PMRC is something to do with censorship or uh, classifications. Because um, okay. I said, because of the PMRC, my parents went ape shit, so they tried to dismantle what I was listening to. It's the parental advisory label, I think, on the cover, uh, isn't it? Yep, yep. Yeah. Now, why FNM had a sticker at that time, I don't know, but regardless, they wanted to read. But regardless, they wanted to read the liner notes and lyrics. Anyway, my dad said, now you listen because I'm omniscient. He was cool with that. I like that. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, it's not equilibrium, but it got me by. Oh, I know what he means because we were talking to people about writing and about equilibrium and lyrics. It's not equilibrium, but it got me by. Brilliant. By the way, Thank I you. grew up in a small town in Kentucky, America. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Marty. Thanks. Thanks. We're through the emails. No- Great, and they're great. It's awesome. And Love it. Keep them coming, please. We had a. Couple- yeah, it's interesting. They get different perspectives. It's really good. Really interesting. Yeah, I love it. Um, we heard from Sam Hudson. Sam Hudson actually just uh, was one of the first people to reach out to us, just saying, listening to episode one, and actually offered to help, offered to help us with any website stuff in the future if uh, if we uh, need it. So really grateful. As I said, Sam, when right. I replied to you, Rock Hudson, Rock. <laughs> Ah, Sam, okay. As I said, we, um, we, we don't know if we're going to bother with webs. I'm finding it hard enough to keep up with email, Facebook, yeah, trying um, to post a Twitter. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the process of d- discussing and looking at revamping Fate to More 2.0. Cool. Um, or at least giving it a lick of paint. But, so mm-hmm. maybe I'll, I'll add a uh, – probably the best – the easiest solution is just to add podcast quotes on section yeah, cool. um, to, to that site. Sweet. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, cheers, Sam. Uh, and uh, Irene, I, I, Irene, I'm reading through the um, the Facebook messages. Okay. Uh, I don't know whether it's Irene Kalka. Cal- 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 Sorry. Let me see. Irene for. See. I can't tell. Sorry, I don't. I don't know if Irene is a a, a guy or a girl. It's usually, usually no, it's, a girl. It's a girl. It's a girl. No, that that's right. <laughs> it's a girl. Uh, huh? You get the reference? 
No, no, it's just funny. You know, oh, you don't remember the free concert in a park? Anybody lost a wallet? And they go, no, and, they, I'm, I'm, and they go, and he I'm goes, hang on, hang on, and he's a, ah, uh, oh, let me, ah, okay, yeah, he's like, Laura yeah. Schumacher. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry about trying to, do, anyway, this is, I'm going to keep going. Oh, is okay. I think it is. Um, anyway, hello to both listening to your second podcast and loving it currently at the first 20 minutes. Just thought I should let you know that my boyfriend is the kind of guy that both loves the real thing the most and got properly into F&M after their split. But still before Sol Invictus and mainly because he met me and had no choice but to love them, to be fair. Also wanted to share that I am really, really enjoying Small Victories so far. It's so, so well written and a ton of things to surprise even the most hardcore fans at every corner. I agree. Adrian has done a spectacular job and it was an absolute pleasure to meet him during the London book signing in Camden. Ah, I remember now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice. that was a great, that was a great night. Yeah, met some great people then as well. Good. Uh, makes me wish I had read the book back then so that I could fire more questions his way. Keep the <laughs> podcast coming and thank you. I also kind of think that Evil Satan was what got Jim to think of Patton to replace Chuck rather than the rest of the Rabbit's vocal style. So there you go. I, I'm not uh, familiar with Evil Satan as a song. No, nope. so I'm gonna have to. No, nope. well, I, I know of it, but I don't have to listen to it again. Mm. Yeah, that's. Even, Good observation, Irini. Thanks. Mm, yeah, I, I appreciate it. Even when I listened over um, the previous two episodes when I was editing and things, I, I really enjoyed cutting to songs and making it referential. So I might yeah. drop in a quick sample of Evil That'd Satan. Cool. And uh, we've got a couple more messages here, dude. Um, oh, Vincent just wrote a quick one saying greetings from Montreal. So Scott. thanks, Vincent. Greetings from ah. Sydney. From Scott Sherwood on Facebook. I'm really enjoying this podcast. FNM has been my favorite band, tied with the Ramones since I was a young teenager. <laughs> this is a familiar theme here with this, with this uh, observation from Scott. I would say there was at this point that I had quickly you guys brushed past the morning after on your the re, uh, on your real thing episode. I understand that this isn't a, a more popular tune from F and M, but that intro riff alone with the bass and drums when the keyboard and guitar kicks in, it's easily one of the strongest moments on the album. Mm. I'm sure I'm sure I'm the only F and M fan that would like to hear more insight on some of the lesser known tunes. I mean, we know about Epic. We don't need 30 minutes of Epic. My only request is that for the Angelus recap that you give some quality time on songs like Smaller or Smaller, Kindergarten. Crack Hitler, just see what midlife crises are easy. Keep up the good work, though, and a big thank you for making this podcast exist. Yeah, thanks, Scott. I think you've made some fair points there. You know, we've only, there's only so much time. We went almost three hours on, on the real thing, but yeah, we can definitely give some love to the morning after, and we definitely will do that for Angelus. Well, yeah, we just need to try and keep it inside three hours because we learned that your mic, either the battery dies out or the... Um, the the files has a three hour cap on it or something, so um, it's a good it's a good measure though. But I have to say, the, uh, kindergarten and crack Hitler. Do you know when I test a new sound system or if I'm 
they're testing a new pair of headphones or any audio, Crack Hitler is one of my go-tos. Uh, that's good. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. Just the dynamics, there's the, the just the yeah, the dynamics, the highs and the lows and all the just sonically, it's just been always one of those songs that I actually test stereos on and things. So, yeah. But the morning after, there, there's actually a really nice bass groove in the intro that I even thought after listening over our episode, I thought sort of missed that because it is a really good groove on yeah. the bass. But, yeah. yeah. No. So, yeah. We're not going to get everything got. first time around. Yeah. So, um, were there any more comments or anything or we're going to sort of allow them to seep their way into the episode now? There's a, a few tweets. There's a tweet from uh, DJ Wronghead saying, one thing I'd like to hear is a breakdown of B-sides, covers, and songs that didn't make the cut on albums and any backstories yeah, that go with them. And I think, I think we're definitely intending to do that. Yeah, also, yeah we've got one from Ryan McNabb saying, such an awesome podcast, please keep it coming. And uh, Yeah. I did, I, I did see a message from, uh, I think it was from Matt Jameson from uh, Fate No Man, the uh, Fate No More tribute band oh, yeah. in the UK. I think it was Matt, and forgive me, Matt, if, if, if it wasn't to the effect that you were so engrossed in in one of the episodes. I think it was maybe episode two that you you missed your uh, you missed your motorways uh, exit. Um, so that's always a good sign, I think, as well. <laughs> yeah. I've heard people I've heard Indeed. people missing train stops reading the book. So I think there that's the I think for a podcast that's the ultimate compliment is missing your uh, motorway exit. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I think we've still got a few more. I can read them all, but I'm coming and we'll we'll catch up. Some if you weren't included in this episode, we'll definitely get. Mm. Well, I mean, we'll certainly find our way with it. But it, yeah, if you if you would like to write in and have it uh, have something shared and read out, just um please do get us on the email because it helps keep it tidily there. And again, sorry to all the people I haven't even written back to yet. But yeah, podcastcroissant at gmail dot com is the easiest. Uh, if there is something that you wanna you wanna share with us, great. So, yeah, and the other thing that we talked about uh, introducing to the show is a small just addendum section because listening over, you know, the, the show and picking up that there are things that are missed, um, there's just always, you know, can't catch everything. So there's just that small part. So we'll try and do that. Let's try and do that really quickly. There were, there were just some notes I wrote on last episode that I wanted to, um, wanted to quickly address. We were talking about Mr. Bungle's uh, bowl of chili, and you were saying bowl of chili, and I, I was just convinced. No, I'm right. It's bowl of chili. So I yeah. looked it up, and we were both right. It was originally tied. I think you're more, you're more right than I am. I didn't want. I was happy to split it fifty fifty, but sure, okay. Uh, it was originally released as a demo bowl of chili, and then there were later bootlegs released, uh, both on cassette and then CD as yeah. possibly was a vinyl and seed but uh the later boot i think there was a cassette for there was definitely a cassette version um in 91 which well, didn't have the man's permission that was definitely mm. called it was incorrectly titled bowl of chili yep so it was actually and apparently uh, apparently according to discogs it was actually sold in regular music stores before the band found out and stopped it yep yep and it was later released as a CD as well with the same error of title, Bowl of Chili. Uh, something that I wanted to just sort of flag because it was just a fun little thought is we were talking about how, uh, is it From Out of Nowhere was originally titled Mike's Disco as a working title? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, or part of it, yeah. Yeah, so that origin, you said there were a lot of disco songs. I thought it's interesting to mention, it was, I'm surprised I didn't sort of catch it at the time, but... The opening track to introduce yourself is called Faster Disco, 
Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we didn't. And sometimes they do that. They incorporate the original working title into the song, so it's a good chance it was always called Faster Disco. Um, yeah. And the opening track on Jim Martin's Milk and Blood album was called Disco Dust. Now, uh-huh. I'm not familiar with the lyrics. I don't know if that was his personal working title for it or if Disco Dust has anything to do, because the album was released after his departure from Faith No More, if Disco Dust is any kind of nod or um, a little stab, perhaps, at, you know, Disco Dust. It's possibly, yeah. Kind of stab it's at possible. Faith No More. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Um, good, yeah. We talked about Epic for so long, but there was one, when I was doing all the editing later and dropping the little bits of audio in, Throughout, I stumbled upon a version uh, of Faith No More. Uh, sorry, I stumbled upon a version of Epic without the guitars. So it's listed as being yes. keyboard, bass, and drums with vocals. So there's no guitars yeah. on the song, and it's really interesting to listen to. Mostly because without the guitars, you can hear everything else so well. And the main things that stand out. Or the, the the main thing that I really dig and I hadn't noticed until listening to this version is if you listen to the keyboards in that solo, when the solo kicks in, the keyboards just ascend throughout the entire solo section. So it just the whole that that lift that occurs in Epic is almost owed to this subtle thing. And it's not even that subtle, but this thing that Roddy's doing yeah. on the keyboards where he's just ascending the notes on the piano throughout the solo. So it just finally arrives at the, the highest point um, so that it can drop back into the what is it bit that follows as well. So the the feeling that occurs behind the solo of Epic, I think you can know a lot yeah. of that. It's just that simple progression ascending notes of the keyboards. And uh, I don't think I'll drop it in because we, we did so much on it, but I might might link yeah. it on Facebook or something or just just no, go see it or just pay attention when you listen to Epic next and notice yeah. that you've got those ascending keyboards. So, yeah. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to say about last episode was uh, I didn't know who played drums on the Milk and Blood album and it was a guy named Joe Cabral. I don't know Joe Cabral. Okay. He doesn't... I'm on the Wikipedia now and there's no link to his name so there's okay. no explanation as to... Is I'm sure there's information out there on the internet as to whether he was people will let us know. Yeah, someone someone can let us know, but yeah, it might have been a mate of Jim Martin, or obviously he knew him from somewhere. But uh, on the album as well, because Jason Newstead plays on one of the songs, and James Hetfield does backing vocals throughout the album, as far as I know. Okay. uh, And Joe Cabral only wrote one song, which was called Specialty. The have you listened to that Milk and Blood album ever? I think I probably have once. <laughs> no more. I should, again, on a long list of stuff I should be listening to. But um, I, I listened to, before the next episode, I listened to some Black Sabbath and listened to Milk and Blood. The opening track, Disco Dust, that I was talking about before, there's a really cool little yeah. chug on it. Unfortunately, the guitar tone on that album is actually pretty ordinary. So it's surprising okay. that, you know, being a guitarist and being his album, you'd think he would have sought out to get a bit. Just, it's just a little bit too bright and spiky for me is the best way I could describe okay. it. It's not as fat and chuggy uh, yeah. as, you know, at least a, the real thing sort of sound. And yeah. the sound of that time, especially with um, Metallica was still, I mean, Metallica had released Load by that point. This, this came out in October 6, 97. So 
Yeah. Metallica they released weren't shiny loads. yet. What's that? They weren't shiny yet. What music Metallica. hadn't gone shiny? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, oh no. They're um. Well, they'd released loads, so they'd had their haircuts. If that's what you meant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, so should we talk about Live at Brixton Academy? You fat bastards. We we can talk about that. Yeah. You Fat Bastards is the name of the video release. Yes. And Live at The Brixton Academy, I think, is the name of the uh, CD. Yes. The audio release. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And You Fat Bastards. You Fat Bastards. And the order of the track listing on the CD is different to the video. And yeah. For me, it feels really disjointed. I yes. didn't like. The I read some. I read some review in a, a lot of mainstream media, but some review this week said it was the the worst sequenced album this <laughs> CD release. Yeah. Of ever, which you know, ever possible. <laughs> yeah. I, yep. I don't know if you want to talk a bit about the background. I, I discussed the background a little bit in the book, so if you want to. To, to be really honest, with all the preparation I was doing and rewatching this and doing a bit of research about um, yeah, just I don't know just other aspects and looking up other things, I had the book out and I was like, and then I will read that part of the book where they talk yeah. about Brixton, and I just I just didn't get to it, and I thought, well, hey, Adrian knows it pretty well, so um, yeah, yeah, but I I I know it was twenty eighth of April, nineteen ninety, yeah, did. Do you happen to know the date of Patton's first show and how many shows we would be into the set? Like, how many shows would Patton have had with the band by the time they got to Brixton Ooh, Academy? It would be a long, long way into the set at this stage. But do you reckon he's had was... 50 shows? Do you reckon he's had 100 shows? Oh, yeah, way more than, way more than 50 shows, yeah. So yeah. he's settled in. in, in into 100. He's well settled, yeah. As you can see, he's, he's well settled. Yeah, yeah. Well, if... come into his own, just say, yeah. I'd like to I do think, an episode yeah, this... down the track of Patton's first ever show. Um, yeah. Because there, there is a bootleg out there. It's on YouTube. You can watch Patton's first ever. I'd like to do uh, a show that just sort of discusses that because um, it's interesting. And he certainly, you can tell he's still getting comfortable. He's still finding yeah. his way with it. So, yeah, anyway. But I'd like to get maybe your compatriot, Andrew Bowie, from uh, the Fate No More gig database. Yeah, that'd be to awesome. discuss that. Yeah. This is life's work trying to find out was that his first show for starting, you know. Andrew what other shows he played. Andrew Bowie, I Andrew believe Bowie, you live yeah. in Melbourne from memory. We did tape trades back in the late nineties and I recall that I was posting things to a Melbourne address. But if you are ever in Sydney anytime soon, please uh let me know and um come over and let's do a in person uh episode. And talk about in person episode. Yeah, well. that's great. That'd be yeah. fun. It'd be nice to have some face to face. So yeah, yeah, or vice versa. I could have I that episode off then. I wouldn't be involved at all in that one, would I? No, no. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to you. <laughs> or maybe we'll make that. We'll time it and um, come and take a trip to Australia. Nice. Yeah, yeah exactly. Nice yeah. quick, yeah. quick trip. I could do that. Yeah, yeah. Weekend trip. Yeah. Okay, so Adrian, tell us about you fat bastards. Yeah, this was so. this was this was part one of the many many. Uh, Fate and War tours of the UK. Um, I think they did five or six in the, in the kind of year or year and a half after the after the real thing came out. Um, their prom, their promoter there uh, in the UK at that time was a, was a guy called Derek Kemp, and he played a big role in them uh, 
in them getting going. And in the book, he says, you know, Brixton was an afterthought in a lot of ways. We had sold out this story on the previous tour. So the next logical step was to play the Hammersmith Odeon. I put the Odeon on sale and it sold very quickly. I tried to get a second hit there. I couldn't get the dates to find it. Brixton Academy was available. So I put the band in there. And at that time, the capacity for the Hammersmith Odeon, because it was all seated, was about 3,500, maybe just a bit less. And the capacity for Brixton was around 5,000. So on two nights in London, the band played to over 8,000 people. Wow. Um, and so really, it could very easily have been, you know, live at Hammersmith Odeon. Um, but And how, how the recording came about is, you know, the band basically, um, after the their earlier shows um, on the tour in February, the, the um, Warner Brothers kind of rode in behind them and the, the, the raided they just needed to get some uh, get some product out there um i also spoke to it's not it's actually it's not actually in the book but i did spoke uh, i spoke to tim dalton who was the band's tour manager um for a lot of their early tours um and he he, he recalls that night he said uh, um i had a lot of memories of that night i had two war netner gigs on that night warner had his band boning tree on at hammersmith the same night and fighting more brixton and i was working at both gigs Wow. He, he made the point that Brixton was a two-day shoot, which I don't think it was, but maybe and the, the band of the word same close for two nights, but it was actually, as far as I can tell, it was only one night, because they mm. played Hammersmith the night before. Um, but he recalls having to kind of, you know, uh, move, travel from one gig to another. I think Bowling Tree were supporting Dogs to, Dogs to the Moor um, at that time. Um, mm. But yeah, the band wanted to get a... It was, it was the only possible gig that the, the band could get a... Or the Warners could get a, a recording out, and the, the appetite was there for for recording. And I think, right. you know, when the when the, the video came out around August, I think this was recorded in uh, April. And the video came out around August. I think the audio release didn't come out until the following February, but it, it, it you know it went into the, the album chart, the UK album charts at twenty, which was way, you know, way higher than the real thing had peaked at. So um, you know, it obviously shows the odd. The appetite in the audience was there for more fight and more music at that time. Yeah, and this very was high for a way to do live it. album too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the origin, we have a few questions about what the origin of You Fat Bastards was. Um, and as far as I could tell, and I may have come earlier than this, but it, the kind of the, the, the band played uh, at the Astoria um, um, in London in, in that February and there were some executives from Warner Brothers, including kind of Randy Skinner was one of their high-level um, executives. They were in the, the UK. I think they were working with uh, Lush. I remember Lush, kind of shoegazing band, mm-hmm. UK yep. band. And so the, the Warner, the Warner executives turned up at uh, the first the first night, seventh uh, of February, and uh, it was a manic show. And the crash barrier gave way during falling to pieces, and the rest of the crowd started shouting. At the security staff who were trying to pick people up, they started shouting, "You fat bastards! You fat bastards!" And I think the band then picked up on that, and they started shouting it back, and <laughs> that became the the running call. I think it's I think it's a popular enough chant in at UK venues. Um, I think it was maybe Andrew Andrew Boy we spoke about earlier who mentioned that the Carter USM also have a, a in one, in one of, I think their li- one of their live uh, releases might be called You Fat Bastards as well, or it was definitely shouted at them. Really? As well, so, yeah. So I think it was something, I've heard it even in football matches in the UK as well, so I think it's something that, 
and then it became associated uh, with Faith and More, obviously because of this release and because it was, you know, shouted at the most them. Mm. And even at the, even at the the first reunion gig in two thousand nine in Brixton, um, the ba- obviously it was before the band came on stage, the chant went up, "You fat bastards, you fat bastards," you mm. know, and uh, Patton came out on stage and said, "Well, you know, now it's true, we are." So, uh, yeah, 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 um, yeah. I saw that. It, it's um. I guess the other reason it would stand out so much to the band is that bastard is a far more common uh, derogatory term to use in English culture. Yeah, exactly. So they wouldn't yeah. be, yeah, they wouldn't be used to hearing it as part of their regular dialogue in 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 American culture. Yeah, yeah. definitely so. Definitely so. I noticed that um, there's a there's a show. Uh, Faith No More played in 95 here and it was recorded. There's a really great show that was recorded by Triple J Radio uh, in in Melbourne, 95. I think it was around August. I can't remember the exact date. But after one of the songs, Patton goes, oh, that was heaps good. Heaps. Which, again, he would have picked up on the fact that yeah, Australians will say, good. oh, that's heaps good. So yeah. he would have heard that somewhere and, yeah, run with that. So I... I love that. I certainly have noticed that Patton, especially, will always pick up on certain, um, you know, just language things. Yeah, yeah. There was an ev- there was a a show when Tomahawk did their first ever tour in Australia. I think it was the first. I think they did two shows at the Metro in Sydney, and uh, midway through, uh, apologies to anyone who's offended by language, the. Somewhere midway through the Tomahawk set, he um, I can't I can't remember. I'd love if anyone can remember exactly if they were at this Sydney show for Tomahawk. Patton just says, "Hey cunts," and everyone, <laughs> and everyone, and he ah, oh, what did he say? It's um, he goes, I, and he goes, we can't say that. We can't say that. My my accents are terrible. We can't say that in America. And he goes, "How is it, cunts?" And he said, and he said. You Australians, you use it as a term of endearment. So he just kept, we, you know, we keep saying that. And um, he kept saying it. And then they went off stage. And I can't remember if it was the first or second night. I think it was still the, that night they'd planned ahead, or maybe it was the next night that they actually did this. But they went off stage and came back for the encore, all wearing a T-shirt that said cunt. Um, yeah. So, again, just pattern and language and things. But it's one of my... Yeah, it was just a very funny moment, as Patton tends to be at his shows. Mm. Yeah. Um, w- one general point I wanted to make, Mike, and I don't know if well, it was more a question. You know, in general, because I, I read a, there was a review of, of uh, review of, of this uh, VHS release, as it would have been then, in Metal Hammer, made the point that, you know, watching a concert on your sofa at home you know, it's, it can be quite hit or miss. You know, it's yep. You know, what's your opinion of, of, of a live videos and, and you know and b live albums in general? You know, are you a fan of of this type of musical product, for want of a better word? I used to be more back back when I was watching live at Brixton. I was definitely more into live music, and I used yeah. to watch a lot more. And when DVDs hit their peak, I would buy plenty of bands live DVD and if I'm a fan of a band I will make sure I right. attain their live material so yeah I, I will watch many and most bands who release 
do you know a, a concert as an official uh, as an official release, they're usually happy with the product and. Yeah, I mean, especially if they're investing in it, they they will probably be. It'll be well into the tour, hopefully, or it will be uh, when the band's already well established as a live act. They're comfortable and they know that they can put on a show, and they probably are very aware of the cameras and they can put on a show. So the band will usually be, you know, at their peak. It will be a strong Operate. performance, yeah. and you know, the record company will make sure the production's well done. They'll cut whatever songs out of the DVD if the performance isn't very good. Sometimes some bands will do uh, releases that are filmed over a couple of nights so they can take the best yeah. bits. But, yeah, I've I've got plenty of uh, favourite live DVDs. The, the one that's coming to mind is uh, Chili Peppers' Live at Slane show. John Frusciante's right. solo yeah. at the end of Parallel Universe is one of the greatest things ever. There's a really great right. John Mayer DVD where the light is. That's that's a favourite. Um, okay. Alice in Chains unplugged. Because I'm just thinking myself. I don't think I don't think apart from this, I don't think I've actually ever actively gone to either bought or watched uh, a concert uh, performance, a full production. Like I've you know watched the odd concert on YouTube and stuff, but. I don't know. I have. This never really flo- floated my boat. Yeah, no, plenty of times. I, it's something I used to do a yeah. lot of, and it used to be a a weekend, almost a weekend ritual that I would start my day just putting And it wouldn't be I'd sit down on the couch and watch it, but I would have it on while I'm okay. you know, making breakfast and coffee and getting ready to go out for the day or whatever. So, yeah, I used to watch lots of live, live music, less so now. I, I think yeah. entertainment media has changed people are yeah. moving a lot faster and it's not often but it was actually only yeah. uh, a few months ago put on on a saturday afternoon it was raining and there's a really great silver chair i think it was from their last right. tour there's a really great dvd set where they i think the first set is with symphony or the first sets the more orchestral side of their music and then the second sets the the heavier I can't remember exactly okay. how structured, but that's that's a great day. And only did that recently and sat down and watched the entire thing uh, with my girlfriend and had a few drinks and I was like, God, I haven't done this in ages, but I used to love doing this. You do it all the time. So, yeah. No, I'm a fan. No, it's interesting. But you said you that know, review was written some time ago. But the, at the time it was yeah. released? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, that was written in yeah, 1990. No, because I, I don't have any reference point. That's what I'm saying, how, you know, how, how good or how bad this record this you know the, the video releases so mm. maybe you maybe you do maybe you can have a where, where does this stack up i there are different styles to how bands release their live shows so pearl jam did a live at the garden and from memory i might have been the imagining cornice they um they cut back and forth sometimes yeah. they'll they'll show a few songs then they'll cut to a bit of a rehearsal or they'll cut away yeah. to the band walking through. I think it was the Imagining Cornus one that they did. Um, right. Cornus or Cornice, I'm sorry if pronunciations are wrong. But, um, you know, and Incubus did one uh, from their Light Grenades. I can't remember the name of that DVD release. Uh, but they did They did the same thing where they would cut to, you know, a bit of rehearsal footage, a bit of the band walking through the city, a bit of... Uh, of sightseeing and you know all, all those sorts of aspects to it and that's more more of a film or a documentary approach as opposed to just a live concert but then 
you will get these straight-up live concert footage thing, which I much prefer. I'd rather just watch the set and watch the band play it through from start to finish. And, yes, it, and the, the sound of it, it's got a really authentic sound to it. it it's actually not yeah. the most greatly produced audio. And I know Matt Wallace, yeah. I was surprised to see. I didn't realise Matt Wallace was a sound engineer on that. I think right. he had some... A, he would have had a difficult time with mixing that because yeah. one of the main things, and we'll actually get to it as we start talking through the show, there's a very swooshy sound that occurs throughout the recording, If especially you hear it more on CD with headphones, but you'll hear right. these really swooshy sounds throughout the set. And what it is, is when Mike Patton, you'll hear this in bootlegs all over the place, Mike Patton's running around the stage. You know how he has a tendency to walk in circles while he sings? Yeah. You've got Jim Martin on stage with, I counted it, it was three full Marshall stacks. So he's got 24 speakers actually pushing out a lot of volume because back in those days, even the 90s, they still would use a lot of the stage sound to push out yeah. to the audience. And even though a lot, that nowadays it's almost all PA, but yeah. they're actually pushing a lot of sound on that stage. So the guitars are very loud up there. And you've got Patton yeah. walking past with a vocal microphone and even he's singing straight into it all those shrilly, trebly sounds that are picked up off dynamic microphones from further away, because there is a proximity with microphones that if you get up really close on them, you'll get more bottom end. And if you move further yeah. away, you get the brighter stuff. So you've got Patton pacing around on stage, and every time he walks past those guitar stacks, the, um, the treble is spilling through his microphone. So you get these flangy, you know, the, it's you're getting the... the causing the guitar to actually start to go out of phase and phase a little bit. Um, so, yeah, throughout the recording, throughout the video, you'll actually notice these squishy sounds. And that's what, and it, I didn't know that. It sounds really energetic. It sounds really intense every time it happens. Yeah. And that's because Patton's pacing around and you get these yeah. cool sounds. And it, it wasn't until very recently I was watching over there. I'm, I know what that sound is. That's because that's the sound of the guitars going through Mike Patton's vocal mic. And you can't turn it off because Patton's singing, you know, and yeah. you can't be, you can't be actively EQing it too much because you'll actually affect the sound of Patton's voice if you're trying to get rid of it. So, unfortunately, that's just sound spill, but that's that's natural, and that's what I love in coming back to exactly what I was trying to say about. That's what I love about the production of Brixton. It's actually a little bit flawed. It's a bit natural. It's it's, yeah, it's there's, rough. There's, it's it's not entirely over overproduced. Yeah, there's there's, there's a few points uh, that came. Um, some comments, mm. I think, on, on Facebook. I think this is from Facebook. Um, from, is it from? Yeah, I think it's from Michael Andrews. There was a, a little conversation going, and he said, uh, "I always thought that this show sounded like shit, except for the bass. It sounds gnarly as fuck, except for the higher end bass. The only thing that saves it is the fact that it's fake and more. The <laughs> recording isn't even soundboard; just record by mics placed on and around the stage." Not from every instrument direct to desk to make it even more shit. It's the fact that F and M have been put out a properly recorded and pro shot live concert video or recording release since this. There's yeah, there's quite a few like that. Probably yeah. So the video looks good, but the audio is a bit. I don't know, not as good as it should be. But as you say, it's very difficult to do. Well, yeah, actually, I'm su I'm really surprised by that, and I didn't know that about the, you know, just mics placed on stage i would have assumed and i understood that matt wallace was the sound engineer of the actual show and i if they were they would have done a proper soundboard and actually i mean the only way to record 
Um, yeah. The only way to record drums in that environment back then, you know, because they, they weren't using triggering or anything in sound replacement. The only way to record the drums is to have the mics that are on the drum kit going through the system, yeah. hopefully also capturing a soundboard mix. Um, but I'm, I, I'm surprised by that. I mean, maybe... As but it's not necessarily, necessarily is definitely the case. It's just an observation mm. from, uh, from Michael. But actually, uh, Tim Dalton, who we mentioned earlier, who's a tour manager and is also, you know, an audio expert yeah. in his own right. He, he, he actually, he wrote uh, a, a piece about the show one time and he made the point that the, the actual footage is raw, even with audio post-production to try and make it fit for human consumption. So if they, they were aware of it, there was... I think I think there was significant issues, and that, that had to be sorted out afterwards. Yeah. Well, uh, if you compare it to anything released now, the product the production is noticeably not as crisp and you know strong as anything that's released today. Uh, but yeah. you know what? You'll probably find that I've got a bias based on the fact that that's it is certainly one of the first things that I. I mean, it is probably my most watched live show ever. <laughs> Yeah, definitely for me as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, I, I, I lapped it up, you know, in the early '90s. So for me, it was almost the standard. So I don't have a critical ear of it. I just don't hear yeah. it being um, any bit poorly produced. But again, that, that that would be the bias and just the fact that I was young and that's just how it's supposed yeah. to sound. You know, it it definitely looks really good. And again, I'm not an expert in video production, and but you know, it's got a a certain sheen or soft focus or something that really, you know, really elevates it. Yeah, I, I like that they, every now and again they'll do a little cutaway and they'll over they'll brighten the contrast and um, or even show it in slow motion and, you know, they cut away to just, you know, crowd shots and whatever and really simple stuff. Or between, between the songs they'll cut to the band, you know, just a, a cutaway uh, distant shot just one of the members or something and moving in slow motion or you know there's a there's a point in the video um where it just shows jim martin from far away and he's blowing smoke and you just get this silhouette of jim martin with the smoke coming out yeah yeah it's it's all just very simple easy easy to produce stuff i mean for that day it would have all been done with tape but um yeah i i like it you know, if you go back to the brass text, or you know, as far as I can tell, okay, there was a untitled intro, but basically there were eleven tracks that made it to the video release, and I think on the set list that night there were eighteen tracks. So there was a few that fell by the wayside. Um, oh, think. I've got, I've actually got that whole list. I was going to go through it yeah. at the end. Okay. Um, yeah, let's let's talk through the songs first, and then we'll we'll actually talk right. about okay. the, the set list of that night. Right. Mm. Did you have anything okay, more to think, say about the show broadly before we go track by track? Yeah, this is <laughs> one from Ben, Ben Ron, who uh, comes quite a lot on the really interesting insights on, uh, on Fate More 2.0. But he says, uh, for the UFAP Bastard discussion, me and all my friends had never really heard Patton Live at that point, and we all agree. He must have had a, had a head cold or something, wondering why he seems extra nasal. And he also want, wants to know how much money, work, etc. Does it take to get approval for song, sip, song snippets such as new, uh, the new kids in the block during We Curl Up? Um, mm. I'm sure there was some sort of approval. I, I can't think, and I didn't. It's not something I researched myself previously, but yeah, I can, I can imagine 
it, it might have, might have uh, you know, the fact that they're there on the on the race means they probably didn't cost that much, but I'm sure there was some procedure. Um, yeah, I don't know. Done. I don't know the law, the legalities behind that. I mean, it, the fact that it's acknowledged on there, the, where it, it gets a mention, but it's actually mentioned. Yeah, it's mentioned. Perhaps someone can write in and actually tell us what the yeah. what the legalities are behind something. Like it's, that. it's mentioned as an ad lib specifically, so I wonder yes. if there's a if it's ad libbed, if it's you know, if it uh, makes it you know cheaper to get or to license rather than you know being a full production. Yeah, well, it's not a cover. They're not playing the music behind it. It's just Patton no. does a silly yeah. little bit and they move on. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We go through song by song. Probably not in the same depth as we did in the real thing, as uh, we've covered a lot of these songs already. But musically, I don't think we need to. The yeah. the straight off the bat, I. I decided I'm not going to watch this on YouTube. I'm going to get out the DVD because they released, they re-released it after, after their split. And when they released, um, uh, what was it called? Who cares a lot? Who cares the a greatest, lot. Yeah. the greatest hits. They eventually re-released this on DVD. Yeah. And yeah. I don't have the, I don't have a, a VH. I don't have a VCR anymore. The VHS yeah. tape is sitting somewhere in storage and so I at least wanted to put it on CD and not watch it off the internet. So I popped the CD in, and the first thing that anyone will notice if they've got the CD version is that the intro music audio at the start where they show just the audience and the crowd moving yeah. through the line, it's all black and white, and you've got... And I couldn't find... what What is the theme music they're walking out on stage to? Is it a Star Wars-based thing or a... What was the uh, hype music they were playing before the show that... Very first thing that plays as they're walking out. I honestly don't know. Damn, I, don't know. I can't think of it. I was hoping I you'd have that information because I, 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 I just it because it's it's on the VHS tape. It's written on the okay. VHS tape, like on the cover. Ah. It tells you everything about what's playing. And so that I mean, I again, I'd seen the show. I must have watched it twenty times as a kid, you know, thereabouts. And no, it yeah. was me too, but. Yeah, and it, you hear this, and, and then it builds up, and then they walk out on stage, and you can hear it switches from the audio being dry to hearing the audience, uh, the ambience of that song playing in, you know, in um, in Brixton Academy, and the band walk out on stage, and everyone's cheering. You can still hear the ambience of that song playing, and then Puffy sits down and he starts doing the little cymbal um, build, the, the cymbal swell leading it in right before Patton does the I, I, I thing. Um, but on the DVD, none of that's there. It's all just quiet. You hear the audience. And then they right. actually fade the audio up just as Puffy starts on that cymbal thing because obviously they didn't want to pay for the licensing of whatever song that yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. No. We'll have, a, we'll have to look it up. Yeah. Um, uh, apologies. Dig out the VHS. Yeah, someone can someone please tell us what that intro song was? I'll I'll see if I can have a look later today. Yeah. And I I just I just hoped that in all the things I was looking up yesterday, I just couldn't. There's not enough information on this release, even on Wikipedia nope. and everything else. There's all those little things. So here you've got a VHS tape that tells you on the back explicitly. I'm certain of it. What this intro song is, um, but yeah, couldn't find the information on the internet. Nope, and I don't have it there. But I lazily hoped that well. you might. Yeah, I lazily <laughs> hoped you might know and didn't uh, give it too much energy. To be honest, no, unfortunately not on this occasion. So 
there, we're, we're standing there. Puffy does a little symbol build. Patton's standing at the front, leaning on the, the mic stand. Then he does it. I, I, I. And then the song comes in. What were your first impressions? My first impression is after after a, an act wins like something like the X Factor or the Voice or you know <laughs> they, they they always disappear for a while and they come back after about six months and then they're like who the hell are these guys you know because they've they've been completely styled and and Pat must have had a stylist at this stage <laughs> or the someone someone was foisted on him <laughs> to kind of model him into a. Because I, I can't imagine anyone would have chosen that get up otherwise. Um, <laughs> it looks like uh, it's just like he's been completely styled. He's probably spent you know five hours at the hairdressers as well, and he got this kind of pinstripe suit with pinstripe suit shorts. And yeah, oh, uh, that's my first impression. What the hell is he wearing? They're like a tan. And he was wearing. He, he did. They're like a tan. He, he did wear shorts. Yeah, he did. He did wear some whack stuff around this time. You know. We, kind of thing at the at the MTV Awards as well that suit and stuff like that so he I don't know and there's something I actually never asked any of the band if did he have a stylist at this time or was there had Warner Brothers you know as as can happen with the voice someone on him but. well considering some of his outfit choices in those first shows and the yeah. the lycra in the From Out of Nowhere video I wonder if a stylist did come along and just say hey yeah, because there's obviously some money being spent on, 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 on this, I think, as well. I think it was okay. We have, he has to look good for the this release we're putting out. You know, the the, the jacket and the suit lasted, you know, what, one and a half songs or something. So well, and it wasn't the greatest investment. I, if you've, you, you've seen Guns N' Roses, I know. Yeah. Axel will go off stage and do outfit changes. And yes, outfit yes, changes, yeah. and again, this is something I only thought about watching over it yesterday. Outfit changes are really popular uh, in popular performance, not so much in rock acts, but they're consistent across anything that's pop music-based. The the artists will go off stage and completely change their outfit for a different song. And you've got... When Patton comes out on stage, I I never questioned it. I just... Again, I was a a young kid and I just thought he looked cool, so I've never to this day even thought about the stylist. Yeah, 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 it does make you wonder if, um, even if there was just some influence that someone just said, "Hey, let's let's get you looking cool." But he comes out on stage wearing uh, the jacket and the and there's a vest and a t-shirt with these cut-off pants, and he I I think he looks pretty cool. He's got his hair tied back, and then yeah. progressively throughout the set, he takes off an item of clothing, and it just changes. It just gives you something different to look at. And yeah. I actually think there is in a, something I just thought yesterday. It does just give a bit of lift to the show throughout, just that the person you're looking at changes their appearance even just slightly. Yeah, it's a, it's a budget version of what you said with, for, the, for the pop performers. Yes. But, and it's, it's subtle. But, you know, I mean, all these guys back in the day, and that was, uh, we, we'll get to the, the shirt off thing as we progress. Yeah, I'll wait. But yeah, and then wait for that. And you can see that he's clearing, wearing clearly wearing some glasses. And then, you know, we get through the intro. The intro comes in so strong, 
it sounds really cool. Patton's jumping around and banging his head and the lights are flashing. And for me as a kid, I just remember thinking, this is, this is really cool. I can't wait to see this band live one day and this is what this kind of music's all about. And then the very first line Patton sings, the camera cuts to a close-up of him. And it's very nicely edited so that you don't see him close and he's jumping around anyway. You don't see yeah. him up close until the first line of the song and then they cut to him and he's wearing those glasses with the eyes printed on them. Exactly, it's cute. Yeah, it, I think the energy is the energy is palpable, but and, and the energy is almost all a pattern, you know. Because yes, you know, Roddy's behind the keyboard. You don't really see actually in the first few songs. You don't see you barely see Puffy at all, mm. and uh, you know, Jim is Jim. He's standing there, he's yeah. not moving. Well, but obviously, it's very clearly edited in favour of pattern. You, I, yeah. I would say the it'd have to be 50 to 50 60 percent airtime just watching what Patton's doing and yeah. most of my notes that I made about the whole thing they're just focused on little quirky things that he does and it's, it's part of what made them such an exceptional live act that their front man really was a performer yeah mm. and I think even in you know this was yeah, physically it was at his peak at this stage but what you don't get in this DVD is the kind of the, the, the pattern of the later years where it you know the audience interaction, um, and the kind of contrarian audience interaction where he's baiting the audience isn't quite there yet. So no. you know, and he, but even without that, he was still a, a, a compelling frontman. Yeah, he's he's certainly putting on more of a show and just you know projecting to the audience rather than interacting and engaging. Yeah, you know, sort of taking a bit back, or fe- he's not feeding off them so much. He's just he's just presenting himself exactly yeah and then the other thing i made a note about was just i again i was a kid when i was watching this so the the fanboy in me is really coming out because i would have been i I wouldn't have got it when it first came out i might be maybe 12 when i'm watching this and he comes out and the the microphone's on a stand and he jumps around he's building it and i don't know if he breaks it but he he separates the mic stand from its base and so then he's spends the whole first song holding the microphone separate from the mic stand. He just swings the mic stand around like a prop. And it yeah. actually is really yeah. compelling. It's just, it just yeah. looks, it looks good. It's fun. And he sort of uses it. He uses it as part of his performance for that whole first song. That's no, great. Uh, the only thing I kind of noticed uh, on the first song is that, well, it's throughout, but I definitely noticed that the first one, the, the keyboards are much higher in the mix on this version of From Out of Nowhere than, than on the, the album, you really hear the keyboards coming mm. through very prominently. I think that the, they feel a little harsher. The the blending on the album is far more. Um, everything sort of sits more nicely yet, and I think they they come they they're cutting through also because they're just a bit more stabby. They're a bit they are a bit harsher in their yeah. tone. Uh, yeah. Mm. Okay. I made the note about the the guitar. You know, we're looking at Jim standing in front of three guitar stacks. You notice Mike Patton's actually got earplugs in. Um, yeah, the, the okay. sound on stage. Uh, you do notice that, yeah. Yeah, you the sound on that, stage yeah. is really loud and um, some, someone would have to be really loud. 
some some comment I read this week was this, I can't remember where I read it on which of the many of our pages it could be in our pages or my pages. Um, but uh, someone noted that he'd spoken to Patton recently, and Patton doesn't actually wear for the last few years. He doesn't actually wear any ear protection on stage anymore. Oh, you wouldn't need so, to. Your voice, his no. ears have probably adjusted to stage volumes, and yeah, yeah, and probably yeah. Well, you do hear a lot about that musicians and hearing damage over the years. Yeah. yeah. Definitely do. It's amazing yeah. how many bands, like how many guys I've played in bands with, and in rehearsal studios, it can get so loud even just in the rehearsal room. And yeah. I've always worn ear protection. It just, I, I don't know why I got scared into it when I was, when I first got into singing. It might have been a singing teacher or someone said, "Wear your ear protection," sort of thing. So I've yeah. never done rehearsals without them. If I forget my earplugs for any reason, I'll go to the front desk and buy the cheap foam things just because i can't handle yeah. it so i think i'm quite lucky i think my ears are actually still in pretty good shape um but the amount of guys that'll play in rehearsals without earplugs and it's yeah. almost like i think when you're young you think it's tough and then when you get older you just get complacent as well yeah, yeah but yeah. um yeah i don't know you do hear about it. it's very common in in music that musicians will develop some pretty serious uh hearing damage you also hear about um audio engineers sound engineers guys in studios that are still able to mix albums and still able to hear what the music's supposed to be doing, even though they've had significant hearing damage. It's amazing. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Just the, you just adjust Must have it. something. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for what track two? Falling to Pieces. Uh, the only note I made here was uh, Patton seems to be really going through the motions vocally here. Yeah, the, the, so the chorus, the chorus has a bit of a styled almost like a call and response, like you see on somewhere in between. But that lower note, all those lower notes, it must just be the because of the the um because of the stage volumes and because of um, fold back and depending on how loud things are. Part of that nasal sound that Patton sings with, what it does is it also helps his voice cut through the music. Either he's singing the really higher yeah. stuff um, more cleanly, but some of the lower stuff, that nasal quality to the, his voice actually is helping it cut through, uh, you know, his own foldbacks, but also cut through the mix and out, out front because it's that, that shrillness actually helps get out over the top of the other instruments. And those lower notes of that chorus, and I noticed, I wasn't going to bother commenting on it, but it's not as if he's struggling with it, but he's using, using a different vocal quality just on those, those yeah. final notes on each part of the chorus. And by the last chorus, you actually see him playfully adjusting the mic and singing in different ways on those notes just to add some animation. And whether, I, I, I doubt it's conscious, 
because he's putting on a show and he's playing to his vocals, you can actually see him adjusting his um his mic and just the way he's performing those notes and just the way he's shaking his head and whatever. I, I could see by the last chorus that it almost looked like he wasn't having a good time. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's what I, yeah, that's what I get. He's trying to make it different just to make it interesting for him and. Mm. But I, yeah. I, I didn't notice that as a 12-year-old kid. I, I loved it. It's only when you watch this thing 20 times and you're going to do a podcast and talk about it that you actually pick up on these little yeah. nuances. Otherwise, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, I always thought the performance... And I used to love Falling to Pieces. I used to think it was a sick song. And I know on the last episode I said it's a cheesy bass riff, but it's also good. Yeah. Yeah. It was so good that they made it track one in the... Uh, the CD release for some reason. Yeah, it, it sounds good when you. I, I listened to that this morning before we started talking, and it started with that, and it still sounds, still sounds good, still enjoyable. The audience cheers, yeah. and they go into that song and that bass tone. Um, yeah, the, ba- the, the bass tone's really before. good in this actually as well. Yeah, yeah, the bass tone. It's it's got heaps of energy to it. It's, yeah, yeah. still quality. Uh, the the real thing. Yeah. The real thing, yeah, well, obviously, I mentioned earlier that Patton doesn't bait or, or uh, you know, antagonize or play off the audience that much, but he does, you know, that, that line, so what, what, are you ready to go fucking home? You know, that's, mm. that's the first, the, the first sign of that, of, of, of that type of Patton and that, the Patton we know and love. Yeah. But, you know, it, and this is just, it's just, it, it's a it's a perfect opening to a, a, a wonderful version of you know one of my favorite songs. So, uh, really, really good version, really good energy to this as well. So what? Are you ready to fucking go home? And also, well, you know, in talking about the energy, you've got the first two songs where he's just been moving around the whole time. Then he stops and stands at the front of the stage and says his first thing to the audience of, so what, are you ready to fucking go home? And then the song starts, and because it's a bit more subdued, he goes and sits up on the PA speakers off to the side of the stage and sings the whole first verse. So it's the first time he sort of stops and is still, you know, actually just stops running around like a madman. I mean, also the song doesn't really lend itself to him doing anything else. No. But at least he does just stop and, yeah, and gives the audience a bit of time to, also gives the audience a bit of time to breathe and creates a bit of dynamic within the show. And then and then it drops and Patton jumps off the PA speakers and jumps around and it's super cool. Great stuff. Again, being a 12-year-old kid, it was just, this is this is when the idolization started to kick in because he just, yeah, he's just so dynamic and so full. Yeah, gets, yeah, but he, yeah, at this stage he's almost cartoonish. You know, everything yeah. is exaggerated. Yeah, the true. Movements and everything. Yeah. And, and I've got to say, the band, the way 
that whole intro section or the whole first verse of the song happens, the, you know, the guitar swells and the way it's played. Yeah. And then when it drops into the next section where, you know, you've got a bit of a gallop on the guitars and things. The, this is the point where you sort of, where I really noticed, God, these guys are good. They're such a good band. <sighs> yeah. They, yeah. As in, they're just really good musicians. You didn't notice that as a twelve-year-old, though. No, I just thought that was normal. Like that's this, this is yeah. just what music is. But yeah. it was yeah, watching. I was these guys. They're so tight, yeah. and the I, that's the one one nod to one major nod to Jim Martin is that his rhythm playing is exceptional. Yeah, no, I agree. I think for me, it's always this song and and uh, Woodpeckers where you're gonna you're almost gonna sit back and appreciate the musicianship. On display. Yeah, I made a note here too. This is the bit where Patton starts. He just leans back and he starts flicking the mic lead, and he's just pulling this funny face. And like you said, very cartoony. Um, yeah. And my, I had said to my girlfriend, I've got to rewatch this um, show. I'd love for you to come and sit and watch it with me um, because I'd love for you to see. Yeah. You know, she's heard plenty of Faith No More, and she actually really likes them. But she's never yeah. sat and watched any of it with me. I'm like, I'd really love you to watch this. This is when I fell in love with them. Um, she was sleeping on the couch most of the time that I had it on, not for disinterest, but she was she was awake in in this. Um, <laughs> yeah, she was awake in this section, and we were just laughing at his mannerisms and just the way he carries on. Um, you know, it was like it was quite fun to also for a moment watch it with someone else who's never seen it before and just appreciate the eyes of seeing it for the first time and just those cartoony animated components to Patton. Like, he's actually very funny. Yeah, yeah. He puts a smile on your face while he's performing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. A born performer, yeah. And the other thing I was making notes about as well was, and this is something that we were talking about Jim Martin earlier, the one thing that you get from Jim Martin that we've never gotten from any of the other guitarists is that, Live, he'll throw in guitar fills. He's such an accomplished musician that in mm-hmm. this song especially, there are just little fills that he'll, instead of just playing the rhythm, he does stray off and just do these little breaks. Um, and they yeah. always, they sound so good. They're very Jim Martin, like it's very much yeah. part of uh, almost his trademark sound. And they're just really- Gives a bit of extra texture. Yeah, and it, just, it, and it brings it just to a little bit more life. It's not invasive on the music at all. If anything, it complements um, Patton's vocals, you know, where the song's going. And that's definitely something that I miss in not having Jim Martin in the band. Yeah. That, you know, these little lead breaks and things. They're very, and if you're a, I think for the guitar fans, um, that's certainly what he was bringing. And you hear a lot of that in this yeah. song. See what it is. 
and I think, uh, yeah, uh, they're for moving on already to Underwater Love, but uh, the, his guitar work in this one is uh, really stood out for me. It does the most noticeable thing in the track. It just, it, I don't know, as you say, you definitely, there's there's definitely more, there's, there's a bit more freedom to operate, uh, definitely at this stage, yeah. uh, when he was playing live than, than in the studio. And it, yeah, totally. Yeah, again, it begs the question, maybe if you had had that little bit more freedom in the studio, where would it have gone? Mm. Well, and the, well, the other thing I made a note about before we move on is this is pro- this is the point where we're starting to hear that Patton actually has a really decent voice moving between yeah. the moving between the clean parts, uh, his delivery, his pitch, and then moving to you know the screams and just the tones that he's pulling f- from his voice just in one song. For anyone critical of a singer, I think this is where you're hearing you know this guy's got yeah. he's got the goods. Um, you really, yeah, it just, I really noticed how good his voice sounds. And then the drum beat at the end of this song, um, just when it's doing the, I know the feeling it is the real thing that the closing section yeah. of the whole song, that drum beat, uh, I might actually cut a sample in cause it's just, there's okay. this tripled snare. It's like, boom, doom, ga, 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 boom, ga, boom, ga, ga, ga. The, the drum beat is, it's something I didn't notice when I was younger, but it's, it's just, and it's it's got an energy to it. The 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 way that not only is it just a cool drum beat, but it actually has this energy to it that it's you can hear that the song's finishing. It's falling apart. It's full of energy. Yeah, it's it's. I always loved when they did this heavy close to this song. Yeah. And then it segues straight into it. Under what I love. Yeah. Which we didn't talk about enough the last time. <laughs> I don't really have a lot more else to say on it this time, to be honest. But um, yeah, again, I thought Jim Martin was excellent on, the, on, on this track. It's something about him, the, the guitar. Mm. Maybe. Mm. The, the, well, that. And something I made note of anyway. Yeah. Well, and in last episode when we were talking about the real thing I actually cut a sample from this show because it's so good and I'd, yeah. I'm more than happy just to cut the same thing out again there's um there's a guy crowd surfing in <laughs> verse two I think he's surf crowd surfing and as he's Coming to the front of the stage, Mike Patton uh, leans right forward and basically just sings at him. He's doing, it's wonderful how the Again, it's just it's just more playful. Yeah. Uh, it's it's one bit that always just stuck out to me when I was watching the show. It's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, great. Uh, any more? Nope, nothing on Underwater Love, sorry. <laughs> sure. Uh, as the worm turns. That's one point, yeah. Now, yeah, for me, this is... This is the, this is the, the well, he does recur a lot pretty well, but I think this is the Chuck era song that 
pattern uh, Excel songs. Yes, I think. yes, and I'm sure you also weren't familiar with the song. This is the first you would have ever heard. No, of? definitely. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, you know, I assumed it was a, a new song. Or, I don't know. I don't know what I would have assumed at the time. Actually. Yeah, didn't know the origin of it. Just over the years, I later bought more bootlegs, and it seemed to appear through most of their Angel Dust era shows as well. Um, I just that the keyboard line in as the worm turns is one of my favorites. I specifically made sure to put as the worm turns in the intro to this podcast because yeah. it's yeah. just it's a song that yeah it's a song that everyone needs to know. Um, yeah. it yeah, and I I remember as a kid just having no idea what's where you know where the song came from or and I assumed it must have been a Chuck song but it wasn't on Introduce Yourself and I was desperate to know its origin and this is before the internet so you couldn't well before the internet actually had information no. like that so no you know it was just didn't know just loved it yeah but yeah as I said it's this it's, for me it's my favorite uh well it's my favorite Chuck song the pattern things yeah yep yep same uh someone in the comments did you do you have the note handy that someone in the comments said haha that was my mask that Patton puts on ah yes i do have that one hold on that's from three three resonant yeah what did three say i was there lol that's my mask Patton wears and he also makes the point they did film this story show a few months before but they used a better camera crew for this one and as far as i know the other show was locked away somewhere Interesting observations there from Trey. That's what I was his skeptic. I did ask. I did ask Trey if he could tell more of the story, so maybe we'll find more about it next time out. Mm. Yeah. See, it's it's funny when I read that, and I'm someone who's just naturally always agreeable and believes anything. And the internet has helped me become more skeptical yeah. over the years because I was. Yeah, profoundly gullible when I was younger. You could tell me almost anything. So when he said that was my mask, yeah. um, there's that. What, there's, what's that line? People wouldn't just lie on the internet, would they? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, exactly. this, I, I really want to know more, Trey. I want to. I want. I want to believe. I think it's right. I think I've, 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 yeah. But no, I think. I think Trey's genuine. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I did. I believe it. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I want. I want to know more of the story as well. I'd, I'd like yeah, to know more exactly. about that, and also the this claim of another another show being in the vault. I mean, Bill yeah. Bill Gould's alluded to the fact that there's just really nothing left, right? In terms of material uh, that they're going to release, there's not. There's not. No, I'm sure that there's plenty of video that could be released, but you know, mm. but not, not nothing in the. In, in terms of new tracks now. I think that's what he mentioned when he said there's nothing in the vault. Well, you know, considering how many compilations of best-ofs of Faith No More that have come out yeah, since they broke up, you know, since the first breakup, there, I mean, there are so many compilations of best-ofs. It's ridiculous. Yeah, there's about seven or eight, I think, that they chronicled, I, I think, yeah. I wouldn't mind more live shows or more audio, honestly. Yeah. There's demand. I think the demands there. There's definitely there's the demand there. They get, you know, it's always on the FNM two zero comments. Oh, the, uh, surely I, there's enough material for surely there's enough material for our life. I don't know. For me, what I would like is something along the lines of, you know, not necessarily a live concert or uh, compilation, but 
something along the lines of what they did for BBC, uh, Radio One Rock Show. You know, kind of like a more of a session mm-hmm. in studio release, something like that. That that appeals to me more than that. And of course, they did um, not long after the release of Song Invictus, they did a, 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 a invite only or a secret show in uh, in Berlin. Um, were you, were you there? By, I was there, yes. Oh. It was filmed by Art in a, a few hundred people where they played the whole album uh, oh. in order and then uh, did an encore of a few, five or six other other songs. Oh. Didn't play it epic. But, yeah, it never, it, that, that was another uh, video performance that never saw the light of day. So uh, that's... Filmed by, so that exists? It was filmed? Well, it was filmed because it was filmed by Arte who are, you know, German, French, uh, Broadcaster do a lot of uh, art arts programs and uh, they have their own channel in Europe. Yeah, and they regularly do these concerts, but uh, apparently there was some problems, some technical problems that ah, oh, so oh. that it was never it never to be shown or or seen. So I don't know some other audio or video problems on the net. Well, usually with any of these things, the audio is done separate to the video, so there could be plenty of video yeah. footage and no quality audio that they can link to it. So. It, c- it could have been that, yeah. That's why it, that's and that happens. Oh. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was a great show, a unique show. But, oh, you know. I bet that would have been really cool. Yeah, yeah that would have been a. Well, again, the thing is, you know, it was pretty much all Soul Invictus. They played the whole album Soul Invictus, and I think they played five or six tracks as an encore. But yeah, it, it was very cool. Yeah, but, you're lucky. You've seen a few shows that are pretty yeah. special now. <laughs> But, yeah, but never see. It. But, but the, yeah, that, but the, that's kind of the that's kind of show I would like to see. I, 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 I kind of like the the higher production values or something. Mm. So mm. I, rather than just seeing it. Do you know what I'd be satisfied you know, with? Video croissant was a good was a bit of fun, and I mean I know I said before I I I would prefer just to watch a concert in full. But video yeah. croissant was fun. I don't really care for music videos. I love the music videos at the time, and I I prefer Faith No More's videos like. Evidence was a great music, and we'll we'll do an episode about the videos at some point too. But I yeah. I really like just watching the band act out performing their songs and seeing a bit of play. Evidence to me is one of their greatest videos. I love it. Yeah. Um, Midlife Crisis, like they're all everything's ruined is a really good yeah. fun. They did it before John Mayer yeah. did it, and got a lot more attention out of the cheap production studio video thing. Did you see John Mayer's video he put out last year of um? Oh, I can't even think of the name of the song right now. I didn't like the song at all. Nope. I actually, John May is one of my favorite nope. guitarists, but um, uh, he did it. He did. Did you see the music video I'm referring to? No. Oh, no, no. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, he he did. He Link, basically went, he went to an LA studio. They do um, they do cheap, fun um birthday type videos where people just act out singing to songs. Or there is a s- small story to it, but he sorted out, got the idea found a studio and said hey i want to come in and so he does a very cheesy playful it's it's still funny and john may is yeah. a very charismatic funny guy but it has yeah. a very similar feel to everything's ruined it's basically a almost same production uh-huh. level as 25 years later mm. um yeah but not to get too far into that i'd i would yeah. love to see a video croissant styled video where they could show you know, like a live bit of footage of Chuck doing a song, early days, really yeah. early days, and then cut to a bit of playful band hanging out stuff and then cut to more Chuck yeah. and then more band hanging out and then 
you know, eventually cut to some... What about Faith No More's early rehearsals before the real thing? Like, surely someone got a handy cam out at some point. Just like, just a little yeah. bit. Even if we just got 15, 20 seconds. And Faith No More have never shown much studio footage ever. No. I don't know no. if that was ever documented, but I, I would have loved... Dillinger Escape Plan, when they did Irony as a Dead Scene with Patton, and they released a, yeah. the, 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 uh, the... What do they call them? The versatile discs where they can also play video media. And they had a okay. bit of... They had a bit of studio footage of Patton in the studio with them doing that. The only time we see Patton, apart from the Angel Dust sessions, yeah. Um, yeah, and well, you've never seen Patton really recording his vocals. No. Even the Angel Dust sessions, but and Björk did a an album of all voice, uh, Medulla, I think was the album, and there is some footage of Patton in the studio there, and it's so cool to see him in the studio. Yeah. You know, let alone the whole band, but especially, I mean. Especially Patton, just because he's... Pseudo secrets, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I respect he's a fairly um, private guy when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, Yeah, anyway. (laughs) Next one was... Edge of the World. So, the... um, It's time to snap, kids. Yeah. It's time to fucking snap, goddammit. And then Roddy says, that means you. And he said, um... He says, listen, and then he farts. Yes. And then it looks Which like a lot, smells. Of, a lot of a lot of people remembered. There's a few comments on that already. Yeah, yeah. He um cracks me up. He uh, could have. Um, it's 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 funny because farts make the sound. We're talking about farts. This is great. He just sounds like he really stuck his mic right up into his butt because it's not the best fart yeah. sound. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you know, it's not the first. Not the first of the last name. Yeah, well, I've, I think it's the only known recorded fart that I've heard. Right. Of. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, but um, it looks like he pulls the mic away and he puts it under his nose and looks like he sniffs the microphone, and then he says that was real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Something I'd never noticed before. He uh, clicks with his ring finger. Right. Not his. Most people click with their middle finger. Not Patton. Yes. Yep. Yes, that's old already. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He he clicks with the, the he clicks with his fourth finger. That's impressive observation skills, he's, uh, Mike. He's so unique. Kudos, kudos for noticing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it's a good. It's a, it's a very uh, for me. It's a very good version of the track, and there's nothing more to add. And, uh, well, the, I didn't care much for it on the album when I was younger. I liked the heavier stuff. Yeah. Never really listened to it much, but sat through it. And the na na nas that happen at the very end of the song, yeah, that made me like the song. I went, oh, I like that na 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 bit at the end of the song. Yeah, yeah. It's an odd, it's an odd one as well. In the, in the CD release, it's like the final live track, which is a you know, it's it's it's, it's, it's an odd ending. Again, it's an oddly sequenced CD, but it's an, it's an odd choice of last track. Yeah, yeah. I wondered why they why they did that i was gonna i made a note as well um roddy's uh keyboards finally stand out we finally get some roddy in a song where he we really notice him i mean aside from like maybe as a worm turns but i feel like this is the the, this is more roddy's moment of the show um i i made a couple of notes because i really like um because there's a bit where you know, they're doing the intro, everyone's clicking, and he's like, I don't think there's anybody even up there, man. 
And then, yes. um, yeah. and then he, the look on his face, he goes, okay, we're going to start. And he just has that really yeah. cool smile. Um, just it's cuts just, him off. What's that? Yeah. He just cuts them off. Yeah. Okay. We're going to start. Because audience interaction going, okay, that's yeah. enough of that. Okay, we're going to start. And he goes, yeah. hey, man, shut up. Would, it, all these yeah. little things that as a kid, I just, you know, just remember it. Nothing. Um, And he does the do 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 do, and he's ah. pulls that funny face as well. If you remember, it's again, it's just he's always doing something that he just maintains. Like you, you don't want to miss anything. Like don't look away because he might do something yeah. else. Um, and I just forgot how funny he is to watch. He keeps pull, he's yeah. always pulling faces and doing funny little things, and yeah. Yeah, again, his voice stands out in this song. I think he's, he sings exceptionally well. Like, even the really soft, and you were talking about the R&B vocals, when we were talking about the real thing, like, his vo- his deliveries, yeah. Yeah, he's spot on this. I, mean, I think he's even even more so than on the record. And then, Carol, it starts, and you hear Jim go, come on, everybody, come on, you'll know this song, because Jim's been off the stage for Edge of the World. He comes back on. Yeah. Come on, you'll know this song. And I was sitting there like, no, I don't. I don't know, know those, this. Yeah, yeah. What I, I think I think I might have seen the video movie at this stage. And I really liked this song. I I really like yeah. We Care a lot. And live, I think it's yeah. even stronger than on the recording because it's. I like what they were doing around this time with the little scratch effect, the record scratch in it. Really, I always found that really cheesy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think I like it a lot. Actually, actually, no, I thought it was cool when I was younger, and then more recently, I think yeah. the sampling's not that big a deal anymore. But back then, that was actually no. interesting. So, that was a big thing. Yeah, no, I I remember yeah. when I first heard the scratches, I did think it was cool when I was younger. But as I got older, yeah. like, eh, it sounds cheesy now. But I guess that's just yeah. time. Yeah, uh, to, to be back. Mm. Scratches. Well, they're almost back there. Bring back yeah. the record scratch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. these and patent shirts come off. He's come back and he's dancing. He's doing some sort of bizarre almost dad dancing here as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but um, well, and this is where I was going to say that as a kid, you had Eddie Vedder, you had Chris Cornell. They were the two that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, Anthony Kiedis. All these yeah. dudes take off their shirts and they've just got killer bods. Well, there you go. And, and, well, rock and roll life. It's a healthy lifestyle, rock and roll. And as a as a twelve year old kid watching this, I just thought, oh, so that's what that's what you look like when you turn. Well, Patton's twenty two, by the way. Didn't mention yeah. this, but Patton's twenty two in this show. He's very talented yeah. for a twenty two year old man. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I yeah, thought very composed. I just thought, oh, that's so that's what I'm going to look like when I'm in my early 20s. Because <laughs> um, I was a singer. Ten years. I'm a singer and a musician. Yeah, that's that's what I will aspire to. You know, none of these guys, surely none of these guys go to the gym or anything to actually achieve. I mean, I actually believe that Patton was just 
always so active on stage that he just probably just yeah. stayed in shape. And he, 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 but he did play sport, I think. Oh, right. Before that. Yeah, see, I, yeah. I was never a physical kid at all, and I wondered why I was just yeah. awkwardly scrawny uh, yeah. when I got to my 20s. But, yeah, anyway, and my girlfriend woke up again around this point and went, oh, I woke up at the right time. Yeah, uh, there you go. Right, see, go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they played some new kids in the block as well to really bring it home. Yeah. In the second verse, there's yeah. that line about the gamblers and the pushers and the geeks. And then, because like, you see him after the first chorus, he's leaning, Patton's leaning up against the guitar stack. And then he misses a line. And it always made me wonder why yeah. that line's not there. About the uh, gamblers and the pushers and the geeks. And the next line, yeah. nothing. And I, I really uh. just want to know what happened because he looks like he's taking a break leaning on the guitar stacks. It's almost like for a second maybe he got dizzy or I just... And they don't show Patton. The, the video footage doesn't show what happened. It just cuts uh. to something and it just... There's just a missing line. I just want to... Just know. got a drink. Yeah, I just... Got a towel or a drink. I just want to know what yeah. happened. I just want to know why it's not uh. there. Um, yeah. Yeah, the right stuff thing, I actually... As much as it pains me to admit it, I, will, I liked... New Kids on the Block as a kid, and yeah. yeah, I was I was very young, and I was the tar- well, I mean, if, unless girls were the target audience at that time, you know, like I was just a young kid watching music television, and I liked New Kids Any on music? the Block. So I was a New Kids on the Block fan before I later became a Faith No More fan. So when wow. he did that, who, little, was your, who was your favorite? Um, oh, Donny. Donny. Yeah. Donny was it? Donny. Donny Wahl- was Marky Mark's brother. Yeah, Donny Wahlberg. Yeah, he he was a cool one. For sure. And what was he in? He's, he's an actor, now, isn't he? I don't know. He was in. He's in some American cop series. I want to. I want to guess it was 1987. So we're talking about me being a seven-year-old kid. I didn't know any better. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So they do that. They do the the right stuff. Um, and then about the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines, and then he does that about the NYSF, and underneath you can hear Roddy go, "Yes, we do." You ever notice that? No, I didn't notice that at all. Yep. No. I think he actually does it in a bunch of shows. He just sings, we care a lot. Yes, we do. You hear it underneath. Listen out for it. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, I have no. Yeah. I only mentioned that. Yeah. And that's all I had on this song. Epic? Yeah. <laughs> epic. Do we have a lot on Epic? The only thing, the only note I made of Epic was the Technotronic pump up the jam. Well, the... Ad lib. This is the one where... Patterns of this song's a song, it's four letters in the title, and it starts with uh, yeah. And then you hear the crowd cheer, and you hear a fucking whistle, like a um, like a goalie referee whistle in the audience. This next song is a song that has four letters in the title, and it starts with an E. And it makes you go, hang on, I think that's been going. I think there is some fucking prick in the audience with a whistle. Doing a whistle. And it's yeah. that moment where it starts with, and you hear this whistle, and I'm pretty sure that whistle is subtly in the audience. Repeats. sounds throughout. The, yeah. And it made me realise, whoever whistle whistle guy was, you're a dick. Yeah. You're, but you, we're, still lis- we're, we're still listening to you. You're still, yeah, I know, right? He, he wins in the long yeah. run. Or she, Mark. but he's one. But that kind of person that would take a Vuvuzela to a to a game. 
Yeah. Can we have a no? No. No. I can't hear anything else about this track. We haven't mentioned already. Yeah. Look, the um, it's good. Heaps of energy. Awesome. Yeah. Puts on the the policeman's hat during the solo. Comes back out and says, "What is it? What the fuck is it?" Um, you know, holds a microphone to his armpit during one of the it's it's just weirdly as if he's encouraging the audience to sing back so he holds his arm up and puts the microphone to his armpit and at the end when he then it does the technotronic which i didn't realize the lyrics because i had to look it up because i used to think it was i want a place to stay get your booty on the boy tonight on the boy on the i on the floor never thought about it it's on the floor i looked it up it's actually i don't want a place to stay get your booty on the floor oh yeah so yeah. yeah, I just I looked it up yesterday just because I wanted it, to know. That's what I was told it was. Well, she just kind of gets ah, which is what exactly. Patton does too. Yeah. But um, that ending, even though he's just singing "Make My Day" and then he sort of goes "Make My Day," I I found that ending almost emotional. It was like it fits really well. I really love it, and the way he's singing "Make no, My we, Day," "Make My Day," yeah. he sings it beautifully. He yeah. sings it really well. It sounds awesome. Yeah, I love that those, version. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a little, it is perfectly ad lib to suit the song you sing. Yeah. I'm so glad that yeah. whatever publishing issues there could have been, I'm so glad it's in there. It's a great version. Oh, just quickly, Epic. That ending with Jim. Jim yeah. always played the best ending to Epic. Yeah. That the way oh. they close the song out with the dun 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 does like all that leady stuff. Best. Yeah. Jim always Jim played Epic best. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Woodpecker. Cool. Woodpecker from Mars. Interesting because you know th- th- this video production is so, as you say, it's probably 50, 60 percent of the uh, uh, featuring Patton, but it also shows that even when Patton is off stage, they could uh, they could you know be so compelling and so you know still enrapture the audience with this you know instrumental track. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it just really, it really walks live, you know. Yeah, it, it, it's, this is the moment you notice Jim gets more animated. Like he walks around the stage, walks over to Roddy, yeah. has a little bit of jam time with Roddy, runs back over to his pedals and things, and yeah, it's and this is again, I, I always liked the song on the album, but this version made me far more yeah. appreciate it. The I didn't really know the song properly, you know, I could have sung the main melody, yeah. but the whole middle section and the breakdown at the end. 
as a kid, I always just vagued out on it on the album, but the the middle section in this uh, and the ending to it are just it, it's it's very intense. They're not even do they're not even moving that much, but it's captivating in some way. Well, Bill's always got the moves when he's playing, and turns are just yeah, you know, yeah. slapper to bass. <laughs> the way, but yeah, but the way he's like. Bill's moves on stage, he's very enthusiastic. Like, he's very cool yeah. to watch, but he's sort of, you know, Patton's probably just yeah. taking attention away a little bit as well. Yeah. But um, Jim Martin, I think, even just the fact you've had Jim just standing almost in the same spot almost the entire set, yeah. and the fact he just walks around the stage, and there are those moments where all three up front are just headbanging in time with each other, especially Bill and Jim. Yeah. Yeah. So... No, it's great. Yeah, it's really works out. It's awesome, and I think it. This is what I think appealed to that metal audience. Like it's, it's got such a, you know, even when I did that Alpha Metallica episode, I remember him saying on that as well that that was that as a Metallica fan, that was um, the main song that he was really into, Woodpecker from Mars. Yeah, interestingly, so I, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Any more? No. To say it, but that one was Zombie Eaters next, is it? Zombie Eaters. Uh, yes. Yes. Oh, this yeah. is actually, they walk off stage, so we're supposed to think that the show's over, which, why would yeah. they finish a show without Patton on stage? But then you can actually hear the audience chanting, you fat bastards, you fat bastards, and um, they go into zombie eaters. Yeah, it was like, what, I think it was track 15 on the night, in reality, so yeah. Yeah. It's understandable that it would be, a, that it would be an encore. Yeah, it's, 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 again, another good version, and it's another... You know, we actually get a few guitar, a few camera close-ups of Jim here as well. Is is actually guitar playing, which you know, it's nice to see. And I think, yeah, I think I think this is this is Jim's song. I think really on the uh, mm. uh, on on the DVD release. Well, yeah. certainly, it, it certainly shows his um, competency, uh, especially his um, when they show in, during the first verse the way he's playing. That section, he's actually hybrid picking. Yeah. Hybrid picking is when you hold a guitar pick between your thumb and your index finger, but you use the right. other two or three fingers um, to pick with your fingernails or you know pick with the fingers. So he's doing a yeah. hybrid picking thing there, where he's using the pick and also. So he's also showing uh, his competency as a as a guitarist. It's really cool. And I used it when I learned that part myself as a guitarist. I learned how to play it with a pick, and when I saw that, I was like, oh god damn! Now I've got a now I've got a try that it's it's a it's a technique in itself because uh, i was watching a, a documentary on bass last night it was uh, tina tina weymouth from um from uh, what's the band <laughs> david bourne's band um anyway she was presenting this bbc4 documentary well, talking on, on heads. bass playing talking heads yeah yeah, yeah. thank you uh, and she was she was presenting it and they were showing a uh, Bernard Edwards from Chic, and he had a he had, he had a very unique way of playing the bass as well, which seemed to be something similar. Oh. Using a, it was both finger picking and using a pick in an unusual way. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Um, uh, and this, the, yeah, the show, it, was, it was it was quite interesting. Um, hmm. It was very very dynamic. Uh, yeah, well, I didn't notice throughout the show whether Bill Gould plays with a pick at all because he they certainly show him a lot just hitting you know with his fingers and the sort of slap stuff that he does oh. i didn't notice because he does actually play with a pick quite a lot um he he moves back and forth between both and i, I yeah. love that about 
Bill Gould because playing bass with a pick actually gets its own sound as well. So I didn't notice if he was playing with a pick at all in this show, though. Right. Anyway, maybe in... Um, Probably not enough, not, not enough close-ups, maybe. Maybe in the more straight-ahead songs, like from, from Out of Nowhere and things like that, could be. I, yeah, just didn't happen to notice. Yeah. Mm, um, I noticed there's a very light phaser effect on... Um, phase effect on Jim's guitar too in the intro in the clean bit. It's got that little bit of a swishiness to the clean sound. Yeah. Um, so he's just got a bit of yeah. a phaser on there. It just kind of keeps it animated and alive. It just doesn't sound completely clean. So that it's a nice subtle effect he's got in that. Um, yeah. I noticed too, uh, where does it happen? Somewhere in the intro before it goes heavy, sounds like Patton's getting a little bit husky. Right. His voice is just okay. starting to get that little bit of, um, yeah, that little bit of huskiness. Oh, it's getting there. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's okay, but it's, um, you can hear He's getting that, into the night. Yeah. yeah. He's getting into the show. And I mean, that's not uncommon at yeah. all. He's actually, yeah. he's got pretty good endurance because it's a pretty common problem for singers to get tired throughout the gig. Mm. I, I, I will believe it. Mm. I will believe it. Uh, but that's all. Um, oh, there's a, I, I just made a note that, he does. He does the scream, like the big, big, big growly scream, when it um, yeah. when it turns heavy. So now you listen because I'm omniscient and does the da da, and then he starts just yeah. screaming, yeah. and the growls. only knowing the real thing he doesn't do any of that like surprise you're dead nope. he does a little bit of shouting and does some quick moments of some but those actual screams like we haven't heard that yet from Patton so exactly that's a good point mm. yeah that's a good point probably didn't revisit it at the time yeah what's um, that and I, I think I remember yeah. being young and just going holy shit what's what's this what is this so, yeah. yeah so yeah that's all. That's I, yeah. that's actually all the notes I had on Zombie Ears. It's such a good song. As Andy Couch said, it's his no, favorite. It's, it's up there. I can, uh, yeah, it's one of my favorites too. And yeah. again, I think Ed and Woodpeckers really, really work hmm. uh, on this release. Yeah. And then we get to War Pigs, Excellent. the infamous War Pigs performance of War Pigs. Yeah. The one that appeared on um, the Black Sabbath. Activity in Black. Yeah. Yeah, and it was they used the live version for some reason. No one knows yeah. why. I, I read a, I read a review of that on a Sabbath site mm. this week, and I, I, I can quote it. Uh, he, he actually gave all the uh, each track a, a rating. This uh, Warpig gets a one star rating. Huh. I'm not I'm I'm not into fate and war till uh, till this day. The only thing I know about them is that Mexican death metal band Brujera. Gero Sinfe is a Fate No More band member. After listening to this band totally wrecked the almighty Warpigs, I have not the slightest intention of listening to them ever. The guy sang the song horribly and in a lot of verses he made fun of it, babbling like a drunk tard. For the love of all things holy, skip this song. Wow. I think a lot of Sabbath fans felt like that about this this particular version of Which was, as you say, I, I, I can't understand why this was included in a tribute album and not the uh, not the one on on the real thing itself but 
Yeah, and especially, and I remember saying on that episode about when we were talking about the real thing that Patton's delivery is, um, he has a tendency to be sarcastic, but he gives a very faithful rendition of it on the album. Yeah. So I don't know why. I wonder if they just, yeah. I wonder if the band or whoever made the decisions felt like it's actually a bit of fun and the live version yeah. is better. But the, I mean, the guitar work, because they're, they're, they're dual guitars on the album version too that you don't get in the live yeah. version. And for as awesome as this version is for live, album versions yeah. still stronger because you've got that kick yeah. yeah 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 ah, that's funny it's not it's actually good to hear yeah. polarizing views well of course mm. if you're gonna you know i think if i think i'm not certainly there's a bad version of it. that's obviously there's a I think perception maybe they were disrespecting it by you know forgetting the vocals Getting the lyrics, yeah. so to speak, so to say. Well, yeah. he only does that one. Yeah. He does that one line where he goes in and blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah, blah. We've got a message from Jerry. Jerry LaFerlo is a big FNM fan. She's yeah. from Australia as well. Oh, yeah. And she she said, uh, yeah, she mentioned that, and, and you know, forgetting the words I said and on the Warbucks calling. So and I still sing it like that, actually. And I think probably she... Probably a lot of us do when we hear that song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Incidentally, Jerry's the first person I reached out to when I was thinking of putting together this podcast. Uh huh. There was the okay. first person I knew. I was like, oh, I wonder if she'd be interested. So, uh, uh, there you that's go. Another, so, hold on. That's one, two, three. I have seven choice now. I think. Hold on. Right, <laughs> just checking. Just checking where I am. Now. Okay. No, it wasn't that Thanks. far down. I, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know you. Um. Yeah. Uh, I'm just looking at my notes for War Pigs. The um, oh, I love the first verse when he goes, "Oh, the um, Satan laughing spreads his oh," and they go, "Oh Lord, yeah." He just leans back and holds the microphone in place of his dick yeah. to get the audience to sing the "Oh Lord, yeah." That was always a bit of fun. This is in a moment yeah. that the drums really stand out. Both the fills are done now. Then he climbs the lighting rig at the end of the song because he's got nothing to do yes. while that big long solo happens. So he starts climbing the rig, yeah. and um, I always thought that ending was really cool. Yeah, yeah. He looks pretty exhausted by that point too. Patton. It's it's a good way for a video. It's a good way for the video to end. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And yeah, then he climbs his way back down. I don't know if you had anything more to say on the song, but then you see Jim throwing out his guitar picks. And yeah. you hear in the audio, see you next time, which is actually Jim's voice. So that's really confusing because yeah. you hear Jim's voice, but he's actually out of the audience. So that's been cut in a way that, um, yeah, is is weird. Yeah. But most people wouldn't recognize that that's his voice. Um, Patton does an actual stage dive into the audience. People are roughing his hair up and messing his hair up. And, you know, he's he's there. And as he, you see the security guard, there's a... There's a security guard standing there and he sort of rolls his eyes kind of over it. I don't know if you... I, I just made a note. I always used to notice that. Patton jumps in the crowd and it's just filming everyone roughing up his hair. And before yeah. he gets back onto the stage, you just see this security guard like roll his eyes and look away. And I always notice that. And then Patton gets back on the stage and crawls off, which is kind of cute. And then and then plays easy. Well, and that's the thing. So that's And that's where we sort of move into what the actual set list was for the night. 
Yeah. And um, they must have come back out for an encore and done Easy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, here I was. They did. Yeah, I was Apparently. thinking that yeah. Patton was quite exhausted. And I mean, Easy's not a profoundly difficult song to sing, but after putting himself through his paces, he certainly has endurance to yeah. be able to sing a clean song to close the night out. Yeah, Interesting exactly. choice. Interesting yeah. choice to close the show. I think it was, uh, especially after War Pigs. Yes. Yeah. It was the perfect, okay, you got that, now you're getting this. Yeah. Um, and uh, can I read out that set list real quick? Because um, yep. there is out sure. there a one other song from the, this footage. So yes. they did open the show with From Out of Nowhere. They do go into Falling to Pieces. So the first two songs we get are, as we see it, um, they actually go to Introduce Yourself after Falling to Pieces. So we don't get that on the yeah. video, but then it goes to the real thing, Underwater Love, As the Worm yeah. Turns. Um, yeah. They then do the Crab Song, which yeah. there is footage of out there on YouTube of this yes. performance of yeah. the Crab Song. They go to Edge of the World. Uh, they go into your favourite, The Morning After. Yeah. Uh, Chinese Arithmetic. I would have loved... I love Chinese Arithmetic. Um, yeah, I'm really... I'm, 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 frankly, I'm disappointed that it doesn't appear on the on the film. Um, I don't, I'm disappointed, but I understand. Yeah. I would... Uh, I would, like, maybe... He used to do an ad lib of um, Vogue around this time. Yeah. So maybe you couldn't get. So maybe they couldn't get the clearance. clearance. Maybe they couldn't get the clearance. Interesting, yeah. But whoever made that, uh, whoever the, made the, the decision to not put it on, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm disappointed with them. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, they go to the We Care a lot, which we see. Then they do Surprise You're Dead, yeah. which is ridiculous that it's we not. We don't, on which there. is even more surprising. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, and frankly, I'm dead at the fact it's not on the yeah. video. Yeah. Uh, then we'd get Epic and Woodpecker from Mars and they leave the stage. They then yeah. come back to do Zombie Eaters, which we get on the video. They do Why Do You Bother, which is one of my favourite Patton performed Chuck songs. Why Do You Bother? Yeah. The, the, it's a very hypnotic song, that one. Um, yeah, they were never going to never gonna have that in the video. Yeah, I, I can understand, but again, it would have. Yeah, yeah but yeah. Uh, they do War Pigs and then they close the show with Easy. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, Which Chinese would've, would've arithmetic would have been great to show. Yeah, it would have been cool. I mean, I, I wonder if that footage yeah. still exists in a vault somewhere, and they could just give us a rest, please. Yeah, it probably exists somewhere. Yeah, just you know, who, whoever has some power that's exists. listening to this, just if you could, if you could sort that out for us, please. Yeah, give us the whole show. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. Um. Yeah. So, did you watch the crab song? I haven't watched it. Recently, but I know it's out there. So, you actually hear the... Oh, I had the... So, after As the Worm Turns plays, you hear Roddy go, Thank you! And then they go into Edge of the World. Yeah. On the video, you hear that. But they actually you hear him. If you go to the Crab Song version, you still hear that same bit of footage. You hear Roddy go, Thank you! And then they go into, ah. then they go into the Crab Except Song. So, you can hear the cut must have occurred yeah. after the thank you. That's a bit of fun. Ah. Um... Jim Martin, Jim Martin, they do another close-up on Jim Martin's playing, which is pretty cool. And like the, because it's like a, an open chord, sort of picks the individual notes. Just the way his pick bounces off the strings, it's actually really cool footage. 
if you watch it. Um, okay. Patton's pulling faces throughout the whole intro because, you know, because there's the um, the spoken part by Chuck. Yeah. Um, so Patton's yeah. just pulling faces. And if you watch the Rock in Rio version of the Crab Song, it's hilarious. Um, I have, but I can't remember now. Because there's, there's something that Roddy always does, and I don't know why, um, but when Patton starts singing, and I want the brightest, and Roddy always goes, yeah, just there. And he does it in okay. this version, and in the Rockin' Rio version, Patton actually just screams for no good reason. He goes, I want the brightest. And he, Roddy still goes, yeah. But it's our world we face. And I want the brightest. I want the So, anyway, it's, it's a fun little thing to notice that Roddy seems to always bounce off Patton right there. I'll look out for it, Mike. Yep, yep. Uh, these are proper dissections. I'll have you know. This is this, this is, is why this, this is a proper dissection. Yeah. Patton walks past the speakers very noticeably, and you get that swishy sound that I was talking about. Um, and yeah. then when he goes, "You left me crying." Oh no, yeah. Because you know, in the um, you know, in the studio version, Chuck does he "You left me cry." Yay, yay, yay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Patton does this really bouncy, silly thing where he goes, "You left me cry." Yay, 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 yay. You remember that? You ever heard him yeah. do that? That's good fun. Uh, and then, um, oh, and then when it goes soft, uh, again, the Rock and Rio version is actually better than this version, but. When it goes soft again, right toward the end of the song, and um, Patton does the standing in the rain, and then uh, Jim goes, rain, oh, and like just makes fun of it kind of thing. And then uh, incredible, and then Jim actually screams, pain. Um, just adds to it, bit of fun. Really I don't wonder how it. I wonder how it, how it exists. Actually, this this version. I feel like they've just played. They played for so long, and they just seem to have a lot of fun with this one. Yeah. Um, it's, it's as though they want to play it, but they just don't want to do it too seriously. So it's just yeah. It's it's a um, it used to always be one of my favorites live, like on bootlegs and yeah, things. They the band yeah, and it's got heaps of energy. Like Andy said in his yeah email earlier as well like it's it's got a it builds you know mm. so. i wonder was this, was this ever an extra cut or an extra track on a, some some vhs releases or uh i think it was televised or how it ended up just te- televised because mm. yeah. it may have happened that it was televised televised before it was released officially yeah that's what i want to believe but like the television studio actually shot the footage or it was shot independently and yeah televised Okay. So that's how it came to be because I think that you can see a um, a watermark in the footage. I can't remember. Yes, you know? there is one on the top left. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Uh, um, oh. so the grade. The gr- thing about the grade is that I just listened to it once or twice when I was younger, and I was like, eh, I didn't care for it at all. 
No, because it wasn't what you it wasn't what you wanted in Figment at the time. No. And, yeah. you know, like, I know that in the past, Jim used to actually play the song Jim on stage yeah. between, like, they just they just have a moment where they go quiet and Jim would just perform Jim. And I would have been fine with it if he brought an acoustic guitar out and just belted it out. Yeah. The grade. That'd yeah. be fun. Be a nice little break yeah. in the set. But he never did. No. Um, the production on it's really good. I actually first thought it was a banjo. Right. You know, because it's got this real twangy sound to it but I wonder if it's like a resonator or something I'm not exactly sure it's a, definitely an acoustic guitar in open tuning so it's yeah. not tuned like a standard guitar and he's playing with a slide for a good part of it and then just when you think oh this is all the song's going to do he does these cool little you know chicken picking twangy like little doodly bits and When I listened over it yesterday, there's some really nice production on it. Like, it's very simple. It's very nicely recorded. There's a really nice reverb on the guitar. Like, some of the moments, um, you can really hear the sort of the space that's been created around this one single guitar. Um, but Faith No More song-wise, it's, you know, it's not really Faith No More. It's just Jim banging out a, it's, yeah, a track it's, in the it's, studio. It's, it's, it reminds me, yeah, very much like Jim, uh, the, the song itself. Um, yeah. And there is a theory, and uh, I think Ben Ron mentioned it on Fate and War 2.0 in the comments. What about the rumour that song titles of the grade and the cowboy song got mixed up? Seems pretty probable to me. Uh, I think I read that in a review, maybe, of the... Of Sorry, the, what was uh, that? The, the song titles, the grade and the cowboy song got mixed up. Oh, yeah. And this, the grade should actually be called the cowboy song, which would make sense if you listen to the type of kind of cowboy music it is oh yeah yeah something i never explored actually but yeah but it was released previously um on the from out of nowhere single right but was it even before that they got mixed up it was a b-side so if if they were mixed up it would have been prior yeah yeah Mm. oh even yeah i think well while it was recorded yeah it could have got mixed up but anyway yeah it would make sense to me. It doesn't. I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know why it would be called the grade otherwise. But. Well, yeah, but I mean, the grade uh, could tie into lyrics of cowboy song, which we're naturally just sort of segueing into. Because the, the, the thing is, there were both B sides. Yeah. To uh, from I don't know. Yeah. So if there was ever an error in the order, it would have just happened then, and they would yeah. just duplicate it. But it's not documented anywhere. But it does. It's a very good call. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Um, I noticed at the start of the Cowboy song, because it starts with the keyboards and then it builds up with the, the, yeah. the drums and the bass guitar, so it didn't, didn't, didn't. And it clearly wasn't tracked with a metronome. The intro actually has, it's a bit out of time, like it's not perfectly, Yeah. but it's actually really good. Like the, the mood of that count-in is a little bit off, but it actually sounds real and human it's just a really nice little touch that i only really noticed yesterday because i was you know dissecting it but um i just noticed it and then when everything comes in there's a very slight little subtle click that makes me suspect that they may have nailed the intro and then dropped in on the start of the song after because it sounds like there's a splice there well, that would make sense, yeah. Sorry if yeah. I ruined it for anyone, if they notice this small... It's Usually splices are very well executed, but 
it just something sounds off and i don't know if they've dropped in the guitar or if they've dropped in something but something's been spliced in right on the like after the little count build and then it splices in yeah but um yeah not a big deal no it's a, it's a, it's a really good it's a really good track it's one of those yeah Finmora probably until the king for day they never had that many extra tracks when they were recording but this is one you could easily you could easily have seen it making it to the album yeah i can hear why it doesn't fit the album but at the same time it's just as good as anything on the real thing yeah I prefer it yeah, to the morning I, I, after or underwater love. You can't say that about the morning after, like. No. <laughs> I prefer it. I, I, I much prefer the morning after the distract, but I, I, yeah, really, I, it's 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 much better than underwater love. I love I I love it. it. It's an when I first bought the CD because I owned the video first, and then I bought the CD later, and I think I just held off buying the CD because I already knew all the songs. Um, but I saw that there were extra songs on the CD, so I grabbed it, and um, I fell in love with it. I just I loved it as much as anything on the real thing, and the production, the the keyboard tone. It's got um, I'm not great with my keyboard sounds, but it's like a can't tell you exactly what the tone of that key, like organish kind of thing. But the the keyboard sound on it is really cool. It's a little bit different to anything else that Roddy uses most of the time. Well, he usually uses more of a string sort of sound, but yeah, it's just a bit more keyboard, like a bit more um, yeah, organy, I think, just an organ. But yeah, someone can tell me exactly what it is, I guess, but it's, um, yeah, I don't know my, my synth sounds. Um, and the snare sound on that song, I know a lot of people don't listen out for this sort of stuff, but the snare drum, like, the tone is sick. It's got like a, that gunshot, very like late 80s sound to yeah. it very matt wallace i think it's a little bit it's even more pronounced than the rest of the album i think the rest of the real thing like it's even more 80s gunshot snare sound it's sick i've never been played live apparently i know and that's that's the other thing i was gonna say if if we could just um you know the community could rally together and somehow say to faith no more look when you when you finished um working on this next album <laughs> when you finish working on the next album and you know getting together for another tour can you guys um do the cowboy song for us because we like it yeah yeah mad king if anyone is speaking to them pass that message along yeah just yeah we we need to we need to develop some cowboy song t-shirts or something or some stickers and banners and things and just um get the word out there that'd be nice um the harmonies on this song they're a little bit different to the rest of the album as well. There's something about Patton's approach on this that the harmonies are really nice. I love the vocals. And I want to acknowledge too that on last episode with The Real Thing, the way I kept saying that lyrics are just ambiguous enough to not get carried away, but they're good as well at the same time, I feel like that was a yeah. that was a really lazy point of view and I'm going to vow to go a little bit more one decision or the other. And I want to say that I don't love the lyrics to this song. Don't like the lyrics to this one. Mm. Okay. There's a demo version of it out there. Yeah. So the, yeah. the same session that had the other demos that we featured on the Real Thing episode, that they also performed the Cowboy song. A lot of the lyrics are very similar 
Um, yeah. We do hear uh, there's a line in the second verse pattern. Uh, hang on, I wrote it down. And everyone will splatter on the ground. And the song's clearly about suicide. You take the elevator to the top and you take the final step and then you jump and you, you know, what's yeah. the last thing that goes through your head? Um, it certainly paints the picture of, and you know, there's the, the suffering of life that occurs through the verses from what I can tell, you know, and in the demo version. But a lot of the lyrics are very similar in the demo version. It makes me wonder if this is some of the first set of lyrics that he wrote. And I don't know. I it, you could talk that are using splatter, maybe. Yeah, but just the vocally, uh, sorry, lyrically, the lyrics on the real thing are far stronger than this song. Like, if if this song was included yeah. in that batch, I would say these are definitely the weakest, the, the weakest lyrics of that that album, that era. Uh, yeah, I could go with that. I mean, there are some bits. I, I the take that final step. There, ah, uh, it's just. It's just not. Yeah, it's just not as strong. Not as strong as Patton's yeah. other work. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to acknowledge. Well, understand. Uh, understandable, really. Yeah, I'd like it if they were a bit more ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I just think he can do better. It's a shame he didn't revisit them because I mean I know that, you know, like Sweet Emotion became the perfect crime, and even the perfect crime didn't have the best lyrics, but Sweet Emotion was pretty yeah. poor. You know, it's. Yeah. Um, be good to hear him. Visit some. Yeah. Would have been nice if he was able to spend a bit more time on that, but that's all. Otherwise, I yeah, love it. I love it. And there's in the second verse, he sings, um, because there's all that shouty call and response, like the tears fall, da 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 da, like the shout sing component to the verses. Yeah. But in the second verse, he's um, the second or third verse, but he shouts, "God's fall," and just on the words, "God's yeah. fall," just his delivery on the shout. Just stood out to me yesterday when I was revisiting it. So, okay, that was the other yeah. thing. God's fall. Just sounds good. Well done. Yeah. Uh, that's that's those two missing tracks, or well, bonus tracks on the CD release, um, which. I don't know. Was it? They got uh, they, they got the record the number twenty in the charts, but uh, an oddly sequenced uh, album. I think we can all agree. Yeah, yeah. It's odd that they made that decision to do that. I don't know why they didn't just. Maybe they wanted to restrict what was on there so that people would want to venture out to actually watch the performance because it is a visually um, appealing yeah. show. Uh, wanted to get those two songs, get new material out. Um, well, people are waiting for new material. Yeah, for the new two tracks people hadn't really heard. And something I read yesterday too yeah. was that um, the Live at Brixton CD was never officially, or the Live at Brixton audio was never officially released on CD in the US until yeah the Works compilation on the thirty first of March yeah. two thousand and oh I wrote two thousand and eighteen I think I meant two thousand and eight yeah yeah. That sounds that sounds right. Mm. That sounds right. Yeah, it was a UK release. Yeah. Yeah. Man, we did it. We got there. Yeah, yeah we got there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm just hanging on here, Mike. To be honest. Yeah, man. What's yeah. what's the time there for you now? It's like uh, twenty to three. I'm, I'm up at like seven. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I'm oh, sorry, mate. Okay. I'm well, gonna I'm... leave the uh, the new music and news. I think we've got enough anyway. We've got three yeah. hours of, Look, um, of stuff anyway. The only thing that happened in news, I'm happy to skip new music for this week. We've still got stuff to yeah. refer to from episode two, but Hatton was supposed to perform the national anthem and then was supposed uh, to perform at the Chris yeah. Cornell tribute and had to drop out of both. And I don't know who manages Patton's yeah. social media because I don't personally, I, I wouldn't have thought that Patton would be wanting to get on there, but he talks from a first person perspective on the, yeah. on the Facebook Patton. On Facebook. Um, yeah. And both, both he just said, sorry, woke up, not feeling well, can't perform the national anthem. Then sorry, yeah. it's been a bad week, not feeling well, um, won't be performing at Chris Cornell's tribute. So I was, that was, yeah. Real bummer. I was really looking forward to both of those. Yeah, no, I, I've, I've kind of always wanted Patton, hear Patton singing the anthem yeah. at a sporting event because I think, but I'm quite glad in another way because of the, you know, the, the anthem, the protests mm. during anthems, the protests by black athletes against police violence. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it might have been the most opportune thing to do. Um, yeah, dig it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, when he initially pulled out of the West album, well, maybe, maybe he thought better of it. But obviously, he, if he also pulled out of the Chris Cornell tribute, then there must be more to it. Mm. Hopefully, nothing too, hopefully nothing too serious. Yeah, and I guess we can. I'm, only, sure, I'm sure it's not. We can only speculate right now. There's no. Well, we don't even want to speculate. But um, do we know any more than that? No, no, no. It's not, I don't think, uh, I'm sure it's just a a winter bug. I'm sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's also it was it was important there was no fate and more representation at the Chris Cornell tribute, but yeah, I think, I think there were, there had been rumours that Bill and maybe even Puppy might have been involved as well, but it didn't it didn't happen. And well, yeah, there was some good you know the, the Melvins there, there's some interesting bands there, but they also they also obviously went for to broaden the appeal went for a lot of pop artists as well so yeah um, look i i actually i jumped online and watched some live streams of that um yeah as a, as it was happening and i found the whole thing pretty cheesy and um i mean i'm sure it'd be different to actually be there but yeah. um uh dave grohl sung a great version of show me how to live that was pretty cool um yeah the melvins i actually want to go back and watch the melvins performance because um they did a, they did a few things um yeah but yeah, for the most for the most part, unfortunately, I found it a bit tacky. I it felt a bit under rehearsed and disorgan- disorganized, and I don't know why Metallica needed to play a few of their own songs. You know, yeah, I don't think anyone I was there know. to hear Metallica. It was just so. I think there's a lot of people. There probably were a lot of people there to hear Metallica. That's the thing. That's yeah. It's one two way looking at it. It was either a tribute or you know a chance to raise money for. Worthy causes close to Chris Cornell, so I think they probably uh, yeah okay yeah they they probably you know they probably fell between those two stools really I think yeah. the organizers yeah I don't know but yeah that's I, what it appears I to me I didn't realize that um yeah the comments as I was watching these live streams people were like why the hell are Metallica playing their own songs but yeah there you go um Ryan Adams did a version of Fell on Black Days which is one of my favorite I, I quite like that actually yeah yeah, yeah. it was okay yeah, I, I like, yeah it was okay I like Ryan Adams a lot so. Me too. Give him a pass on Me too. Yeah. I didn't mind his version of um he did Alice in Chains down in a hole. Um Yeah. Yeah, I like I like Ryan Adams as well. And I like yeah. that he does do his own interpretations in his own style and they still sound good, so 
Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Mm. Um, anything, I mean, look, we'll wrap, man, but is there anything yeah, else from some other, the band? Other Fate the More news, yeah. Um, Roddy did an interview there last week, I was looking for, and he, he confirmed that the Imperial Teen new album, which is called Now We Are Timeless, will be out on Merge Records on the 12th of July. I think there's 10 songs. Um, and he also said that he'd have a, a record of a nasty band uh, in April. That it features an 84-year-old singer, a pair of identical twins, a drummer and guitarist, and many theatrical elements. Oh. For wow. performance band. Uh, Sounds interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I've seen some footage of on Instagram, uh, Roddy with the Nasty Band. They look interesting. A very New York performance right. vibe about them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I also have some personal and more related news. Um, mm-hmm. I will be in Los Angeles, California. On Tuesday, the 19th of February, at 7pm, I'll be appearing at the Book Soup, which is the largest independent bookstore in Los Angeles, for a Q&A and a book signing or a, for small victories. So, Sick. And Mr. Matt Wallace has agreed to join me. He'll be there joining in the Q&A. Oh, wow. Cool. And then on the Saturday, the 23rd of February, I'll be in Green Apple Books on the Park, in, on Clement Street in San Francisco and I should be joined by some special guests for that one as well um, some special guests yeah um, I'll be in San Francisco there will be some special guests from San Francisco oh you're in San Francisco as well yeah there'll be a Q&A and book signing as well yeah oh man should be oh. <laughs> yeah we're not going to make it to Australia am I so far Mike. away I'm sure they will before I will, but I probably won't. <laughs> uh, dude. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Mm. Nice one, man. That's good. Cool. Well, um, even even I'm I'm surprised <laughs> I'm at how this how comprehensive and how deep this went. I, I, I thought this was a nice. I thought this was a nice <laughs> just um, you know something yeah. that we could just keep keep short and sweet and um, yeah. Oh, there you go how we do it um alright well hit us up on the socials and get in touch with us and uh yeah you've been listening to Podcast Croissant this is Mike and this has been Adrian so what are you ready to fucking go home See you, dude. You take care. You get your sleep. See ya. All right. Cheers. All right, man. Cool.